Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of No Story Left Behind. This week, we are finally back at the Blind Ninja Studios after I had to take a couple weeks uh, off from being down with COVID and would like to announce some big news here. Steve is still currently working in Dallas for the foreseeable future, so I've asked previous guest Josh, who's been on the show before, in episode two and three, and might have been the last episode, 12, that we did. So, Josh, thanks for coming down and agreeing to be a co-host for me, and welcome to being on the other side of the table. Yeah, not a problem, man. It's fun. And with us tonight, as always, is the wizard behind the computers, uh, super, super Producer Casey. Hey. <laughs> and more importantly, my guest tonight, Dave Wilson, veteran of the United States Army and National Guard, you said? Correct. And police chief of my, from my neck of the woods of Shell Lake, Wisconsin. I'm just up the road from you, just a yep. few miles in Spooner. So thank you, Dave, for taking the time down to come down here and sit down with us. Yeah, you bet. Interesting evening. Josh gave me the invite about a month ago, and I'm like, sure, why not? Let's go so, give this a whirl. I just want to introduce yourself a little bit. So, did you grow up in Wisconsin? Where are you from? Uh, originally, I'm from Iowa. Um, most people related to a movie, The Covered Bridges, Madison County, Home of John Wayne, blah, 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 Northside Cafe. But <laughs> I grew up on uh, Lake Superior, northern Wisconsin, Port Wing, Herbster, Conocopia area. Um, went to school at South Shore. Uh, graduated from there in 90, and uh, actually, while I was still in high school, uh, Uncle Sam got a hold of me. Uh, August 25th of 1989. Yeah, I'll let everybody do the math on that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where I grew up, and uh, country kid north of Highway 8. Prior to Uncle Sam pulling your arm over, what was life like before you growing up there? What was life at home like? Oh, yeah. Hunting, fishing, four-wheeling, or actually we didn't even have four-wheelers back then. We had three-wheelers, death machines that they were. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, ran cross-country, track, field, basketball, you know, sports. Uh, small school district where, you know, it wasn't uncommon. Uh, seventh graders hung out with seniors, so that's really odd in most places in the world. Small school, I had a graduating class of 31, so we were all pretty tight. I think that was one of my classes. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, yeah, um, good good times remote, but very close-knit community up there, obviously. And um, so, yeah. When did, when, when did you know that you were going to join the Army? Like, was it were in high school? Because, like, I, I knew right off the bat that I was I was joining the service. I had to. It was, right. it was part of the requirements for being a male in my family. You know? When right. did you know? Uh yeah, probably definitely my junior year, about 17, I knew that was going to happen. One, my entire family, all sides of my family have been in the military. My father's a retired uh, Navy, uh, 36 years. All my brothers in the service, uh, all my aunts, uncles, uh, uh, male, female. I, so it literally, it's a thing, grandpa, grandma's. Right, a passage. It's a path. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we were socioeconomically weren't, you wanted to go to college or you wanted to do something, you're going to earn it on your own. So uh, there was no college kid being paid for by mom and dad in my world. So, um, yeah, how are you going to earn it? Yeah. So join the school, you know, back then they had the GI Bill college fund. Mm -hmm. uh, fun story looking back, hindsight 2020, man. I had a congressional nomination to the Air Force Academy from David Obi at the time. And I uh, wanted to be a pilot and a navigator, and uh, I didn't qualify because I have a high-frequency hearing loss. It's just gotten worse over the years, so uh, military service. But uh, 
looking back now, it also comes with a four-year degree and a commission. Instead of retiring as an infantry grunt platoon sergeant E7, I probably would have retired as probably a light colonel or a colonel with a four-year college degree. But, you know, it is what it is. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, you know, spent a long, <laughs> you know, spent a lot of t t time with a lot of different interesting people over the years, including Josh, who's invited me down tonight and spent a lot of my service time with him, so... Yeah, we served in Iraq together in 2009, 2007, or 2010. Um, yeah, it was, it was an <laughs> interesting experience that we had in Iraq when we were right. there. So, yeah. But yeah, we, we served together, um, both with the 128 Infantry, um, 32nd IBCT Infantry Brigade Combat Team. And um, it was a great unit, a really good unit. Our mission at that time was less than desirable and um i'll let dave get into the particulars of that if he wants to get off into the weeds and on, on sure. what that was all yeah. about but um yeah we did serve together um dave's always been a really good um he's been a mentor to me because i uh, as he went up in the ranks i was kind of following along behind behind him as an nco and um you know i always i always went to dave as for advice and um career advice too for you know what would be my best you know best options at the time like he was the one who told me you know when i got offered a position down at um brigade down at camp douglas he's like yeah take it man he, he anytime you get I think you were the one that told me it doesn't matter where you go. If you get offered a promotion, you take the promotion yeah, and right. you, 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 you know, because once you get promoted, more, more options open up. So yeah. Dave is always kind of a mentor to me and he was always somebody that I could go to as, um, somebody that I could bounce stuff off of, you know, and, um, we've just remained, we've remained friends throughout their years and, yeah, and even though he is a cop, but. <laughs> there's that. <Yeah. laughs> I'm a biker. He's a cop. Yeah. Right, right. But, you know, um, no, you know, and we've just—he's he, a good friend. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, well, and that's know. a great segue. Uh, you know, one thing we get a, a, a stimula attached to attached to law enforcement nowadays, especially 2020. I'm just a guy. My name's just Dave. I introduced it. you guys I've never met before in my life. Hi, I'm Dave. Yeah, I got a lot of titles. I do a lot of different stuff. But I'm a country kid that grew up north, you know. A lot of my guys, uh, friends Wisconsin, that I grew man. up with were Vietnam era gentlemen, 20 years, uh, generation ahead of me. Uh, my stepfather was a World War II veteran, um, uh, several years older than my mother, um, survivor of the South Philippine Islands. So I grew up old school. He grew up during the Depression, mm -hmm. um, to give you a little context. And, you know, railroad workers, bikers, country boys. Yeah, okay. I'm a cop now, but those friendships, uh, some of these people I've been friends with for over 40 blue years. Types you blue know, collar, um, yeah. blue collar, just, yeah, just be real. And uh, we all have families, and we're just normal people trying to do a job, so... There's a lot of stigma attached to law enforcement, obviously, out there in the in the news and the media and in national narratives. But we're just people, right? Uh -huh. So, but yeah. But so, I just want to back things up a little bit. 
so you mentioned, you know, your family, you know, come through a military lineage. Did mm-hmm. you did you have a choice between the branches or were you oh, yeah. pushed towards the army? No, I, I was wide open uh, again. I say 2020, I'm kind of wishing a, that full bird colonel four-year college degree <laughs> in re- retirement versus an E7 grunt. But uh, so, yeah, long story short, I turned that down when I couldn't get my wish list in uh, uh, U.S. Army recruiter, Ranger. Uh, came along and of course back then I was full of piss and vinegar and maybe got a little bit still in me but uh, that's right you did go to ranger school didn't you uh, well I, yeah. I started to I went to rip training ranger yeah. indoctrination program yeah. at one point is that uh, like the, the it's tough it's, the a, pipe, it's a very the pipeline it's, it's a pipeline it's, yeah yeah it's it's what you go to before you go to ranger school it's, it, it's very challenging it yeah. is very it's challenging. a leadership school and uh, it, it's a pretty rough it's the roughest three weeks that you think <laughs> you're ever going to get your game on yeah ranger's no joke man um, I, I will say this to one thing to just I know everybody hates this word, and especially in the military, but one caveat is almost everybody who's retired <laughs> out of the Army always goes, oh, yeah, I really wish I would have gone Air Force. <laughs> I wish I would have gone Navy, goddammit. Yeah. You know, so it's fun. I get to pick on my brother, uh, Tom, who is a retired active duty Navy guy, and, you know, the, the inner defense department uh, specialties, you know, he's a squid and... I was proud of the fact that my entire career is 11 Bravo or 11 Charlie uh, infantry and uh, 23 years of doing that. It kind of beats up on you a little bit. And I always pick up my brother, Tom. He was always good at giving us a ride to the fight. So, <laughs> so uh, for those of you who don't know, 11 Bravo is straight leg infantry. Um, and it opens up a lot of career possibilities. Like you can go to Ranger school, you can go to airborne, you can go air assault. Almost everybody goes air assault if you're infantry. Um, 11 Charlie is mortars. Mortars, indirect yeah. firemen. Indirect um, fire. So steel it's rain. Of, it's kind of, I did somewhat of the similar thing. Like I started out 13 Foxtrot, which is artillery. And almost anybody, almost all NCOs, when they go through um, the infantry, will have some type of artillery training because it is the one of the most... Um, effective combat multipliers out there on the battlefield and the ability to call in, like he called it steel rain time on target. Um, nowadays it's so much more than that. You can call in naval gunfire or air, air assets. You're stacking up F 18s coming out of the Gulf and in Iraq, we would stack up F 18s coming out, but almost all senior NCOs in the infantry would have some type of either mortar or artillery experience, Mm -hmm. you know? So when he says 11, Charlie, that's that's what he's yeah. talking about. So and it's a, it's a, combat, a combat multiplier in, uh, you know, the multinational forces that we wound up working with. Uh, you know, we had Navy guys, we had Marines, we had Air Force, Air Force yeah. but we had the technology of radios. And if you didn't know what you're going to do when you were going to call for fire, you, you don't want to drop the arty on the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. It kind of ruins people's day. Uh, commanders don't like that. Danger close. Danger yeah. close. <laughs> yeah, so. Seen that on, um, um, what's that Mel Gibson Vietnam? Right. Right. And that's a true story when he does that. Yeah. yeah. He called in, he called in, he called in close air support on his position to mm-hmm. stop from being overrun. It is a technique. Yeah. It, it is, is a technique. And, <laughs> if you so, watched yeah. when we were when we were you know, we were soldiers, it is an effective technique. Mm-hmm. You know, but so, yeah, yeah it, it does happen. You know? So yeah, backing up, just you know, that's that's where I started right out. Of, I went active duty right out of high school. Uh, I was in a light infantry division, uh, seventh you know, unit, seventh ID, uh, and actually it got deactivated during the Clinton administration. 
but I was at Fort Ord, California for most of my time. I did my basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia, in the quote-unquote the frying pan. Everybody's been <laughs> yep. in the, uh, July in Georgia for a northern Wisconsin boy. I'm telling you, that's I've heard hot. But good things. Oh, my Lord. Sand Hill. Um, man, I was not used to that, but... Um, Nobody is. So and then got Even the, Georgia boys don't like. Yeah. <laughs> Stationed out in California, and it was interesting. Most of the boys that I was working with, that was a cohort uh, um, unit back then, and they had just gotten back from Noriega and Panama in 89, and uh, I got there in 90. Yeah, so these are all fresh combat vets, you know, uh, straight up out of uh, uh, the Noriega deal down there in Panama, and they're smart core boys, and, of course, you know, doing the math, a lot of our senior NCOs, those were Vietnam-era guys, and they just a little different school of thought than what you have nowadays. Uh, they Back were a little, the little hard. yeah, <laughs> where they could still go hands-on, yeah, uh, so to speak. So they then, weren't afraid to hit you unless you, when you when you when you did something wrong. I only ran across I was the Vietnam-era guys were very few and far between in my experience. They probably can speak more to it, but they were not afraid to effectively teach you when you were wrong. <laughs> Direct method. Direct method. Direct method. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did it you was know? an effective way of it was an effective way of leadership you know, because it, you know the wall to wall counseling the wall to wall counseling right they were did your family warn you about boot camp at all or any stories um, like that or they're like not hey, a fun. whole lot um, I guess the closest thing to advice and guidance I had at the time was my stepfather uh, and of course World War II South Philippine Islands pillboxes. Um, just a whole different generation and world, you know. He's like different yeah, experience, different mm -hmm. experience. A lot of guys uh, from hunting camp were were in service as well, and we still have one of the few traditional hunting camps up north. But uh, they gave me some advice, um, what to expect, and I, I did succeed fairly well in basic training. Um, you know, an honor grad is a thing to shoot for. I did achieve it for my cycle. Uh, but I was a lot thinner than I am now and a lot better shape. <laughs> I was about a buck 65 soaking wet out of high school. And, but yeah, so that was interesting. And then uh, wound up uh, meeting a lot, you know, let's face it, South Shore, Northern Wisconsin, not a lot of cultural diversity. Sand Hill, Georgia, Fort Benning, a lot of cultural diversity. <laughs> Uh, one of my good friends still today, I haven't been in contact with a while, but uh, he was from North Carolina, and uh, he doesn't look like us all sitting here at the table, <laughs> and we wound up being the cohort partners and actually wound up being roommates uh, stationed at uh, Fort Ord together, and, man, we had some good times. Um, good guy. Floyd Napoleon Coger. <laughs> um that is a great name. It, it was a great Napoleon, name. I will never Napoleon Kroger. Yep. Wow. Yep. So, did you find? Were you nervous leaving for boot camp? I mean, leaving Northern Wisconsin. You know, like you were saying. I mean, no. it's a small optic. Up uh, at the time, you know, like a lot of kids that age, I think, can't wait to get out of here. This place sucks. Blah 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 blah. Well, and then about three years later, you're like, man, I can't wait to get home. <laughs> but when you, yeah, when you first go to basic, it. it for his generation, it, it was probably a little bit different because he he didn't have the benefit of Full Metal Jacket. 
the movie Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> so my generation, we had all seen Full Metal Jacket. Um, we, that's what we thought we were walking into. You know, his generation really they were kind of that in between where, right. you know, Viet, between Vietnam. You, you know, and you had you had that that one air that 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 area there, you know, because like when I went to basic training, I was like, I knew what I was walking into, you know. Right. Yeah, I don't think it was it was probably a little bit of a different experience, you know. But I was on the tail end of it too. But like when I went to basic, the, I'm pretty sure with you too, drill sergeants could still hit you. Oh yeah. You know, they'd they'd haul off. You you fucked up and you knew it because you got a freaking knuckle sandwich right to your jaw you know right or you, you, they called it turtle fucking right and they yep. take their your or kev- shark attacks shark and all attacks that, yeah. yeah yeah they take their kevlar helmet helmet and they'd walk up behind you and fucking bonk you on the head while you had your helmet on you know and, right. and, and ow yeah, it's, <laughs> it stuck pain. with you you're like little, oh, yeah, i'm pain not gonna do that again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing all the little pain stimulus little reminder so in ba- so basic, you don't. It's just getting you through. Well, the basics, yeah, you have your but, basic training, which all, everybody has, and then AIT, your advanced individual training, and of course, my particular MOS, MOS was the infantry. Did you? you know. So did you choose the, to go infantry? I did. Or did they lay out here's no, your options? No, I I, I chose. Uh, you know, at the time, seemed like a good idea. Yeah, I want to jump out of airplanes and shoot machine guns and live in mud puddles. It seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> Uh, you There's know, a swamp. Let's go. Sleep. <laughs> let's go sleep in the that swamp. Sounds like a great uh, idea. Let's go do it. So uh, yeah, you know, uh, and that's what I, I I chose by choice to do that. And uh, again, looking at a ranger contract and things like that, and then being with the Seventh Light Infantry Division, that was a you know too light to fight, too heavy to run was our old saying. <laughs> uh, there there was a lot of sayings, but uh, you know you carried it all on your bike and you humped and. Uh, that was my active duty unit, and I do have a Manchu 100 uh, belt buckle. For those that don't know what that is, that's a 100-mile forced road march, 12 hours or less. 100 miles, 12 hours or less with a full combat gear. That's 126 pounds. The, the, no. Yeah, that's Korea, though. Right. That's Korea. So right. You, so we you, did that. Korea when you Our that. unit did yeah. it every year as an annual event. Most people didn't make it. You know what you get when you complete that? A belt buckle. <laughs> That's what you get. It's amazing what the human being will do for a piece of cloth or yeah. a belt buckle. Napoleon Napoleon said it is amazing what a man will do for a piece of piece of ribbon. Right. And he's right. The 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 man too that he's talking about, that belt buckle is highly, highly prestigious in army circles. Like you, you, it's it's a thing. It it is <laughs> it's a thing. You know, same with the German the German army cord, you know. Um you're, for a young private coming into a unit and you see an NCO wearing that belt buckle, you're like, holy fuck. <laughs> right. You know, so it, it, not everybody does it. Mm-hmm. You know, right. if everybody could do it, they would do it. Not everybody can do what, what he did. And so when he says something like that, it's, it's a fairly and, prestigious And you actually thing. do get a yeah. copy of official orders from the Department of Defense that says you are authorized to wear this on your class A uniform, so forth and so on. Yep. And, uh, so it, in class A, is that your that's dress? your formals? Is yeah. your dress uniform? Uh, I think they went to class blues shortly after. They went to class blues, and then they went to the regular blues, and now yeah. they're going back to the pink and greens from World War Two. Okay, so so which is kind of cool. Hundred miles, oh Jesus! Hundred miles, twelve hours. It's, and you it's have to time. Do it, you have to do it. You have to do it within standard. So. Standard. 
Yeah. So it's 12 miles in one hour. So you're moving. I, the hardest walking. thing I've ever done was the. And you're carrying about 75 pounds on your back. 12.8 or 13 mile tough mutter. And that was just yeah. for a freaking beer and a headband. <laughs> right? Amazing what a fellow right? will do for a beer. Um, Best beer of my life. Right. Yeah. After getting, I took a car battery to the back of the head, yeah. and that, that was not fun. Do not recommend. Not recommend? No. No. The no, taser, at, well, granted, after that, the taser wires at Shockey at the very end that right? you have to sprint through, that's nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's like when was so, the, yeah, after I got out of active duty, I was a little in, in, in limbo as to what to do, so I joined the California National Guard, of all things. And uh, so... At one point when you were active duty, it's interesting looking at the parallels for me in law so enforcement. when were you mode. active duty, sorry? The uh, the active duty was, uh, well, 80, well, 90 through 93. And, of course, now I can big picture look at this differently. We were locked and loaded on a bus heading to L.A. during the Rodney King thing. Um, and then, oh, yeah, wait, we're federal troops versus state troops. There's a big difference, Title 10 versus Title 32, uh, the legalese behind it. So they turned us around and then sent the California Guard down to deal with that situation, which ultimately was the unit after I got out of active duty, joined the California Guard unit that actually went and took that uh, L.A. riot mission. Um, so I was there for a few months, and then, okay, and at that time, that was the Clinton administration where they reduced the army size by four corps. To give you a context, that's twelve divisions. Do you, that's huge. Do you guys know? Do you, if you know your history, it's called the Clinton Purge. So the Purge. They purged the, the, the military purge from, from Clinton. They, they purged the military. Um, part of a big reason why the military has never really like Democrat um, presidents. <laughs> thereafter was in large part because of the Democrat pur or the Clinton purge after that. So, I mean, if, you can look it up on Wikipedia and all that and yeah. for, for context later on, but, um, which I, yeah, I never it, it heard about. Yeah, so my it choice was, was yeah. you know, okay, what do I do? Join the California guard, go home, get out. Or they offered me a promotion at that time, uh, to E five Sergeant in, you know, three years was just kind of fast track, but here was the catch: move to Fort Lewis, Washington, and be stationed and attached to the 75th uh, Ranger Bat Bat Boys. Long story short, you know, forward, forward. I got out, joined the California Guard, and then about five months later, moved back home. Um, did some construction work, some bartending, you know, that kind of stuff, and then wound up going to school in Eau Claire that following fall in college and then uh, transferred my guard membership to uh, Wisconsin. And uh, I was out of the Rice Lake guard unit. Mm -hmm. One, two, eight, oh. one, two, eight, uh, infantry. That's where I started my uh, 32nd red arrow uh, career that's where I'm at. in uh, 93. And that's about the time I met Josh. And so what's the, what's the 32nd red arrow? Well, uh, the, the quick four, one, one on the red arrow, the arrow, delineates that we have pierced every line that we have ever fought against in the history of the unit. It started started in World War One. So yeah. um, back then they used to um, identify unit movements with a big red arrow. Mm -hmm. right? right. So when the, the 32nd, which was the 32nd Infantry Division back then, um, never failed to pierce the enemy line. So the red arrow comes, you have a red arrow and then a line the going line. through it, and that meant that we never failed 
to pierce the enemy's line. The the French army called us the terribles because we right. were so ferocious <laughs> in combat, and they called us les yep. terribles, and it meant that we were the terribles. The terribles. And Which is actually a unit designation pin that you can, again, wear on your formal Class A uniforms. It um, is the only um, American Army unit to ever get, uh, I think it was the Croix de Guerre. The, correct. Yeah, the, that was awarded from the French government was for service in World War One. was a, awarded the Croix de Guerre. It, it is very, they can trace its lineage all the way back to the Civil War mm-hmm. for the Iron Brigade that held yeah. the line at, at Gettysburg and everything. Right. You know, Colonel Reynolds, if you guys know Colonel Reynolds, you know, um, it was his unit, the Black Hat Brigade and Iron Brigade and all that stuff. So very, very distinguished, very, um, a lot of history for the unit. Yeah. You know. So, and at that time, Rice Lake was the the 4.2 inch mortar indirect fire. And that's where I had to switch that designation that we were talking about earlier from 11 Bravo Bravo to 11 Charlie. Charlie. So, and back in the greatest war machine ever made the 113 track vehicles and they had a 4.2 inch uh indirect mortar tube in the back and uh man those (laughs) things would drive through anything and over everything not that we ever tried because you know (laughs) uh you can't break them it seems like oh but but we did (laughs) (laughs) so Um, you're saying giving um half million or million dollar machine to a bunch of 19 to what could possibly go wrong yeah. hold my beer <laughs> and actually uh, you know I, I joke about the hold my beer but back when you know the army was still fun on in guards we had middle weekends even at annual training and you know we drank beer and the armories had bars in them yep. um you know so we'd sit and throw darts and play pool and the camaraderie and the morale was just so much better it seems like to me it was because we'd, bike, we'd hang out afterwards and you know drink beer throw darts uh, and you know sometimes we'd stumble through the door at four in the morning and we had mission at eight and we still put rounds on target you get really good at uh, grid coordinates and dropping rounds where they're supposed to go because when you don't drop them where they're not supposed to go it just <laughs> it was, ruins it people's was, day it was the greatest it was the greatest example that i can ever speak upon of work hard and play hard because we would we would go out and we would play hard and we would get up on two hours of sleep and execute a 30 mile road march get out there put you know rounds on target and freaking have an have an infantry unit coming through it was it was it was by god it was fun yeah (laughs) it was fun it was was fun fun. and you know man the, the the camaraderie uh, I, that's the part that I miss, you know, you know, and I'm blessed to have the connection with Josh still and some of the guys that I've had, um, even after retirement and, but yeah, uh, so we did that. And then, and of course, through the promotion process and whatever, I ultimately wound up at, uh, Alpha Company. Uh, my first tour was 04 and 05 over to Iraq. Uh, I mentioned earlier and talking with you before the show here that, uh, I know exactly where I was on 9-11. And back then, National Guard was not de- a deployable thing, you know? Mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, whatever. And I'm like, shit, I'm going to war. And I was on my way to pick up my son. And uh, I was on Highway 63 and 30th Avenue. Heard it come across 96.1 on the radio. Game on. Here we go. So, 04 and 05, I deployed to Iraq. Uh, I was. Do you think that was? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Do you, 
through the National Guard, do you think that was the mindset of we're going to war, we're being deployed? Oh, because yeah. oh, for like, sure. For me, we I just was knew. in seventh grade when 9-11 hit. And right. I was in intro to Spanish class. And when the history teacher, Mr. Benarowski, if you ever happen to listen to this, he popped his head through the door like, you need to turn on the news. And first tower was already hit. And I think everybody collectively in the school was thinking, yeah, this is an accident. There's no way somebody would fly no. a plane. And we then knew. we saw the second we one knew. We didn't know exactly when, but we knew. Anybody in the service at that point, our nation's at war and we're going. I I remember looking at my wife said, "It's not. This is not a drill." (laughs) And I'm I'm going to war. We thought originally we were going to Afghanistan. Right. Originally, we thought we were going to be on the initial push into Afghanistan, and then our mission that we had set up for at that point in time got sidetracked, and they pulled the guard off of that, and then every bush started making the big. Thing for Iraq and things started ramping up for that. We we knew it. It wasn't a matter of freaking if. It was a matter of when. Right. Right. So, who were you with uh, on the 0405? That was interesting. That's when we really started using the concept of multinational forces, and we were broke up. We we still actually belonged to Bravo Company, but our all of our headquarters, all of our chain of command was on the Iranian border except for one platoon. And guess which platoon that was? Yours. Mine. <laughs> we got sliced out to Adaluya, Iraq, at Fob McKinsey as a platoon-sized element. And that was in the Sunni Triangle. Um, and then at some point during that tour, we actually had one squad broke out from there and moved to Fob Wilson. And uh, It's funny because your last name is Wilson. Yeah, right? <laughs> So it's like, from a chain of command standpoint, your organic unit was just sliced out and attached to whoever. And we were originally attached to the Big Red One, uh, the 1st Infantry Division. And then uh, um, we got attached 3rd ID after that, 3rd Infantry Division. And they're... If you do some Wikipedia, Google searches or whatever, 3rd ID, they were kind of the badasses of the Iraq War. A lot of the surge stuff. Thunder Run. Thunder Run. The Thunder uh, there's Run. a book out. Yeah. If you if you want some background history on it, a book to read is a a book called The Thunder Run, right. and it's about their initial push. So, and when Baghdad Bob was sitting there, and he was saying that the Iraqis were kicking the Americans' asses and everything, and you look in the background, and there's third ID tanks going across in the background, and they're freaking traversing and firing, and killing Iraqis and stuff. That was the third ID, and then right. that was the unit that he was attached to. Sure. So that was their infantry. So, so I, I've I've read a few books by uh, generals, um, in particular Mattis and Petraeus, and of course mm-hmm. they're focused on the macro level. I mean, they're not yeah. looking oh, at individual huge. squads; they're looking at right. how many thousand troops do we send this oh, way and that way, blah blah. I mean, what's going through your head watching your unit? being split into different or company excuse me yeah. into different directions i mean what's it like being the command and control at the became, micro scale yeah and the micro scale command and control was a nightmare and of course technology is a lot better than it was now but simple paperwork or order who do you answer to there's that learning curve of like okay well who's my chain of command now i wound up uh answering to a commander out of t- uh, texas guard unit um, was my you know official chain of command, even though my real chain of command was over at Fob Cobra on the Iranian border, you know. So there was that mix mix match, and there's a lot of learning curve to that, um, you know. But we were so tight as a unit, 
at the platoon level, and that is critical in any unit cohesion conversation. We took care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and yeah, you network, and you still had a chain of command, the big green army machine. Yeah, yeah. you're with Gabe Schaff and right. Mike Sampson, and all yeah, those I was guys, with yeah. uh, Mike Sampson, who is in law enforcement mm-hmm. in Menominee down here. Jordan Ellison, Jordan Ellison, and yeah. those gentlemen, and uh, actually went fishing with uh, 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 Lieutenant Vertigan, Jim Vertigan was Jim uh, my yeah. LT at the platoon level, and uh, we went fishing this summer. So Jordan Ellison, you you guys might have heard that name. His brother was the guy who was killed by the Catholic priest up in Hudson. Yeah. Yeah, oh, so okay. his... He was my roommate. Yeah, was yeah, his, okay. his, his roommate, his brother was the yeah. the guy who was killed yeah. by the psychopathic... Ellison, by chance, here in Hudson? Or up no, in Hudson? I don't think there's... Uh, okay. It might be distant, but... It might be distant, yeah. but Mike yeah. Ellison Ellison runs, uh, Jordan has uh, a... Has, he has a farm up, I think it's up by Cumberland now. Yeah, it's a... Ellison Farms. Yeah. He's, 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 a, he's a dairy farmer. farmer. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, he was my roommate overseas, and... We called him Skeletor, because he had a skeleton. Good dude, though, man. He's just... God, he's a solid human being. He's just one of the best. He is. He's just the greatest guy ever. And, and to watch those, him struggle are... through the murder of his brother, and that was going on at the time. Going on we were, at know. the time. So you're overseas. Military, when that, oh yeah, military Jesus. deployment, his brother, his all this stuff, and it's like so watching the human part of some of these people I've served with has just been wildly intriguing and a learning curve over the years. I mean, you want to talk about gut check? There's a guy that, you know, had to go through a lot besides the normal, yeah, I'm going to war and all this other stuff. You know? All these all these men it turned out to be some of the best people that you ever meet. You know, Mike Sampson is a he well last time last I knew he was a police officer. Yeah, he's yeah. an officer in Menominee. Menominee. And, uh, yeah. his wife is a state patrolman. Uh, um, Jordan Jordan ha- runs a farm up by Cumberland and free um, Gabe Schaff, he's he's a mortician now down in Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was always a little off. I, was, I don't get the mortician thing still to this day, but you, you know what's to, really cool? You want to go to a weird party, go to a mortician party. <laughs> right, go to a mortician there's, there's party. only been one person, my But buddy. he's kind of got a little biker at heart, too. Yeah, you know, he, biker, he started his own biker. company, uh, Euroride, and it makes the, the clutch covers on uh, motorcycles. Yeah. Where they put the urns in, and yeah, you know the forever see. ride. For, uh, yeah, great company. Cool. Yeah, I, was talking cool. to, I had a, on my other show, Rules of the Arena. I had a uh, the local Big River Big Rivers chapter of Baca Bikers Against Child Abuse on, and they talked yep. about the that. Yep. We went off air and down yeah. rabbit holes after that show. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was an interesting tour, and that turned into just a gamut of different. What you think you're trained to do and what you wind up actually doing on the ground deployed is just wildly different stuff. All right. Um, we did a lot of base defense, but then I wound up, hey, we got a detention center. Who needs to run a detention center? Anybody got any law enforcement background? <laughs> well, shit. What was, so what was, ran some detention center stuff. What was your When, when you were deployed in 0405, what was your rank? Was I was an E6. I was a squad, so a squad leader. leader. Yeah. So you were running a squad. Yeah. yeah, I was running a squad. Yeah, um, Bobby Craig and all them. Yep. Guys, yeah. Yep. And um, what was yeah. that like? What was what was it? Because you guys, I remember because I I was on that base. I was in Fob Cobra. Right. So I was the guy up on the Iranian border, which wasn't very fun. We were we were with Alpha Troop of the two seven eight, and all that. And we heard horror stories about what was going on with you guys over there. You mm-hmm. know. Me and Tess out to the third ID, but 
What was what was your day to day like? I mean, you uh, guys were running you guys were running infantry missions too. We were doing, you, guys were, you guys were fighting Zarkarwi's boys. Uh, yeah, and you know, you guys the cross unit Zarkawi thing was, is you know they were know always the asking he's, for volunteers. He was the big uh, Taliban. Or, he was no, uh, um, no he wasn't uh, Taliban. He was Al Qaeda. Yeah. He was Al Qaeda. Yeah, he was Al Qaeda, and he was he was pretty tight with um um oh God, I'm drawing a blank now. He was, he was, basically he was number three in in yeah, Al Qaeda. The their hierarchy. Yeah, in their yeah. Hier- hierarchy, and um, he kind of broke away with them because they were telling him not to do, don't kill Muslims and stuff. Right. And Zarqabi's like, I'm killing everybody who I can. Right. And um, interesting that, piece yeah. of trivia uh, where Saddam Hussein was actually caught, you know, in in the rat hole, the infamous rat hole. Nope. Uh, was only about two clicks from where we were based yeah. at. Um, and I guess I can talk about some of this stuff. Anyway, some of the Terp assets. You can change your name in post-production. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah right. Hey, hey, a wiretap. Are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> uh, some of our Terp assets are the ones that are actually working with the Iraqi nationals and our other assets are the ones that caught Saddam Hussein uh, Yeah, in that area. So... Yeah, we had a wide variety of missions. Some of it was sinfully boring, just sitting in towers for 12-hour shifts, staring at desert. Uh, damn. You know, but day, fairly routinely rocket fire coming in at us, yep. whatever. Yep. But we also did a lot of uh, convoy security stuff because Camp Anaconda was our resupply. That was about 45-minute trip through the Sunni Triangle and gun trucks, in a nutshell. And there wasn't a day that it, you rolled through. You were guaranteed one thing: somebody's going to shoot at you. So, so it's, do, you get, do you do you do you know your history? A little kind bit of, Okay, uh, so Camp Anaconda was here, right? And then there was all these satellite bases that went all the way around. And each each unit, like the third mm-hmm. ID and the first ID, had their area of responsibility that they were responsible for. And then you had Route Irish, that kind of was the main main route that was coming in throughout and route irish was hell to go on yeah they like blowing you up on it um, their base was right off of route irish so i mean they were they were getting hit just like we were over where we were at we were getting hit constantly too but it was and this was oh five oh four and oh five yeah yeah is was it oh five or oh six when the ieds really ramped up it was oh five oh five yeah that's when the iranians started coming over and they started doing the efps and all that yeah and they started ramping up the technology which is about the time frame from a historical standpoint you started seeing the up armored vehicles get Mm -hmm. more technology we've talked about about this um that's where you've seen what we now know as up armored vehicles. Well, we didn't have up armored. We were actually in our Hillbilly staging armor, area and choir, yeah. <laughs> you know, rednecks come in handy once in a while, have, <laughs> uh, have welder will travel. We are down in our staging area in Kuwait and literally guys, stealing scrap metal. You guys have heard me talk about this before. This is where the guard unit really kind of had a leg up over regular army units. We had construction be- guys. We had welders, real world people. It was a, mm-hmm. it was a combat multiplier. Well, they were, they went to work uh, up armor and, non-armored vehicles and they were right. welding plate metal on the side of stuff well there's nothing more dangerous in the world than a redneck with a blank check <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right right so yeah that actually turned into a big to-do there was a interesting young man uh out of the 278 made a comment to the secretary of defense i Don think Rumsfeld, yeah. 
<laughs> something about how come we don't have the equipment we need as we're getting ready to go across the border. And that, that was one day before we rolled over. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this dude from Tennessee went up there. He's like, God damn it, I ain't going to put any more metal on this truck. Now I go talk this, some bitch. <laughs> he went over there and talked to the rest of us. Yeah. We're all out there. We're in. I hope Frank does a good job. Shit. <laughs> right? Bring back some of that sign right? there. You got Tennessee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I will say this. Um, working with the T-78 out of Tennessee, um, we were both guard units, and there was a little bit of freaking – there was a little bit of state rivalry there. We were Yankees. Damn Yankees is what they call it. <laughs> Damn Yankees. Damn Yankees. And um, Civil War still alive and well still, oh, yeah. in 2004. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't <laughs> call it – it was the War of Northern Aggression, as they yeah. called it. Yeah, the War of Northern Aggression. <laughs> but I can tell you um, – to this day, I don't. There isn't a day that I don't thank God for for having those guys having my oh, back. They were a great unit. They were um great unit. They were they were great Americans. They were great soldiers. Even they weren't infantry, so they were a little bit behind the curve. But <laughs> um, they were tankers by uh, by trade. Mm. But they were some of the best people I've ever met in in my military career, and I I'm thankful to this day that we had those guys they had our back because i mean they had bradley's and they had tanks and it wasn't really a bradley and tank kind of war when we went in at that point in time but those those guys freaking they had our back every step of the way and i yeah they were they were good men all of them and uh i'm i am privileged to have gone gone into the fight with them and they had they lost some guys, man. I mean, they lost quite right. quite a few people, you know, because they were they were our main target for IEDs and EFPs and shit. And those fellows, they lost some dudes, you know. And um, I'm glad I'm glad they they were there with us. Yeah, because they we made fun of each other, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah. when it came down to it, we were we were all one team. And I will say this about those Tennessee Tennessee guys is they know how to make moonshine. Oh, <laughs> man. And, uh, Hypothetically. They couldn't drink beer worth a no. damn, but. Right. Yeah. yeah, beer, not their thing. Not their Hypothetically thing. Hypothetically can make a hell of a good jug of <laughs> uh, <laughs> shine. They can make a jug of clear whiskey. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh-uh. holy crap. Private, why are you leaving the chow hall with potatoes in your pocket? No idea, Sark. <laughs> they go good with salt later on, Sark. <laughs> you got sugar? <laughs> yeah. they, um, they, were, they were some good dudes, man. They were, they were some solid people. Yeah, yeah Dave, I'm glad I went to war with them. What was your primary job? Is your your well, squad my, leader? I was a squad leader. I had nine guys. Uh, best guy, man. I had great guys. I'm still in touch with most of them today. Who, who are you guys? Do you remember? Uh, Isaac Boss, uh, Tobin, um, James Tobin. He's a Wisconsin he's, State he's Trooper. State Trooper, no, uh, yeah. good um, dude. Mike Sampson uh, was in. Well, that was part of the platoon. Bunch of fucking cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, the damn cops. You didn't rub off on any of them. At yeah, all. no, not at all. Jeez. So, yeah, uh, Jordan Ellison was my roommate. Um, yeah, great bunch of uh, guys. And do you, have Bobby, a, do you have Bobby Craig too? Or? Yeah, he was in the platoon. Uh, he wasn't in my squad. But uh, Phil Josart, 
uh, still a local boy, lives yeah. over by I'm right. I'm still, I'm still in contact him with him. I forgive him. He's still a former Marine at heart, but <laughs> he, he switched over to the the light side and joined the Army uh, after we gave, Marine Corps we gave, days. We gave, him, we gave him some crayons, and he was like, okay, yeah, boss. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, Phil, great guy. Um, I sent my brother a box of Crayolas yeah, because he just got a, Marine, a staff sergeant yeah. promotion. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, Marines we had our good man, days yeah. and bad days. It was hot. It was dirty. You get tired of getting shot at with rockets or whatever whatever and you know and these log pack runs from a human human standpoint amazing to me one of the things that stands out camp anaconda had a burger king this was the main supply of like northern iraq okay this was the place right this is a they had movie theaters and pools and all this cool new shit we're living in the freaking dirt all right so when we go down there we had young kids volunteering to be the gunner on a gun truck no to go bar. 45 miles through the Sunni Triangle, and you know the only reason they said pick me, so they could get a fucking cheeseburger. <laughs> now think about that. So now I get home, and I'm the first American time. The first time I go through a drive-through at the Mickey D's, right? And I'm like, it hit me. I mean, I had guys voluntarily. We got shot at every freaking time we went through there, right? You want to volunteer to be the gunner, the guy up at top. There's so you can get a cheeseburger, yeah. and I'm going through the drive-thru when I finally get home going, that's going to be the best fucking cheeseburger <laughs> ever, man. I like, you know, like, hey. Can I ask you something? So I know for me personally, when I, like, I got leave, and I got leave halfway through my tour. And as soon as I got leave, you, know, you go through the whole fucking rigmarole at right. Kuwait and all that shit. And as soon as you got home, like I landed boots on the ground and, uh, at home on my leave, and I had two-week leave. Mm-hmm. And the first day I got back, I'm happy to see my family, and my family's like, "Hey!" And I right. surprised my kids, and they're like, "Yeah, Dad!" Oh. Right. You cry and stuff, and then, as soon as you put them down, you get them off your knee and they, whatever, and you're like, "I want to go back to Iraq." There was a part of that because there's that transition period, and that's a good segue into the personal note. My youngest son, who's now 15, is a sophomore in high school, was born uh, during my first tour. He was the result of a Camp Shelby train-up baby, uh, uh, Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> so Camp Camp Shelby is <laughs> was on the, Camp yeah. Shelby is where we went Gulf to do Fort, our, to our train-up before yeah. we before we went we we hit NTC and then we went from NTC and we so went boots that on the ground. Makes sense. I've talked to another buddy of mine. He was a ranger, but they sent him to Wisconsin in December January to train up to go to Iraq and the like, irony wasn't lost beyond you know snow uh, cold yeah. Fort McCoy like, yeah, and he's desert. Told me like yeah, yeah we're probably gonna be in if there's one area. place <laughs> if there's one place that would be totally different than Iraq would be uh, Wisconsin in January <laughs> right, right. and December <laughs> yeah, like, and, like, and um, the NTC rotation I swear the U.S. government picks the most piss of hell on the planet Earth and turns it into a military base. No. Okay, it's in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> okay, dude, it's just terrible. I've NTC, done I've done five, NTC, five NTC. rotations at NTC over my career. Yeah, NTC is it, a totally different sucks. experience. And what does what does NTC stand for? National Training National Center. National Training Center. Okay. It's in the Mojave for Desert, Irwin, for Irwin, Irwin California. California. It is absolutely terrible. It is when it does hole. rain, believe it or not, it's a desert and it does rain. It, does it floods. Rain. Your shit all floats out your tent. It's just <laughs> fucking terrible. It's 100-something no during no the joke. day and 40 no degrees at night. You got an 80-degree temperature swing. It, 
And the coyotes there, the coyotes <laughs> will come straight into your tent and steal your shit. And, walk around, and they're looking back at you, and they're looking back at you like, do something, fucker. Do something. Do something, bitch. Like, if I had live ammo, your ass is dead. <laughs> coyotes like, you don't have live ammo, motherfucker. If you did, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Yeah. Up here, and you can our, read our first coyotes. safety briefing, you know, we have safety briefings for everything. Yeah, yeah, we play with explosives. What could possibly go wrong? Why do you need safety briefings? So you get out to the NTC, the first thing out, Mojave Reds. Okay, well, what a Mojave Red is, is a little ass rattlesnake. It's about this long, about 18 inches tops. Okay, anything that looks like woods, brush, or sagebrush, or anything, don't they like to wrap. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't go by it because they wrap around. That's the only shade these things. Well, the nickname for a Mojave Red is a two step. You get you bit, get, you got two you steps, got and, then two you steps die. and then you die. Yeah. Okay, so don't fuck with the Mojave Reds. All right. Or the uh, tortoises. Tortoises, yeah. Don't mess with the tortoises because they They're get protected. scared, they pee, and then they die. So you just killed this 150 year old tortoise, right? <laughs> Man, you got these, it's you like got these bad liberal mojo, fucking tree hunters. You killed a tortoise. It's like a twenty thousand dollar fine, and you know you lose your birthday or something. Nobody I gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit about the private. He got bit by the fucking goddamn rattlesnake. Right. You make a tortoise piss, and you got fucking liberals coming out of the way. You motherfucker. Yeah. Right. Don't don't mess with the tortoises. But yeah. anyways, so yeah, anyway. your kid was born. 15. He was born uh, mid tour, so I kind of working with the chain of command, and they were great with me. My emergency leave due to the birth was scheduled around my mid-tour leave. I missed it by two days because I got held up in Kuwait. But, yeah, I got to come home two days after the birth of my youngest son. Um, you know, and that's something I think is important. Our, not only what we go through, our families. Um, I was married on... May 50, don't get this wrong, right? We're live. Right, yeah. Uh, no, do not get that wrong. You're a public figure. Don't say yeah, anything man. that you'll regret. <laughs> May, 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 May 15th of 2004, and on June 7th, I was on a plane to Camp Shelby. Um, so my honeymoon my literally was in Kuwait and Iraq. Um, my son being born mid-tour, Yes, my wife signed up for all that stuff. She knew I was in the guard in the military, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, okay, now my newlywed wife is now a single mom at home, and I'm deployed in the combat zone. Man, that, that, and working full time. It's like I told you, man. Yeah. Like, dude, yeah, my, she's my hero. Is, she's my hero. You know, people have called too. me hero and thanked me for my service and all this stuff over yeah. the years. I mean, my wife's my hero. Uh, you know, holding down the fort. Raising a kid, working full time, not mom. knowing what's going on back then. The technology wasn't as good. Yeah, we did have some it's, contact. It's, home. it's it's strange how much the technology changed from our oh. well, first deployment to that. Yeah, second. To, but, yeah. but to make well, a phone just... call the first time versus the second deployment, night and day, you know. I sw- were you using sat phones that first deployment? No, no, they they had a, a phone bank that sometimes worked, sometimes didn't. A little a, MWR so our building, tour, you could always make a phone tour, call. You get a you get a care package and there'd be like four or five phone cards in there, right. you know, prepaid phone cards that you could use to call back home, and they lasted maybe fifteen minutes. So you'd spend about fifteen minutes trying to get through, mm-hmm. and you had to go late at night because of the time difference and all that, and et cetera, right. et cetera. Like seventeen hours difference. Uh, seventeen hours yeah. difference, you know, and so you really had to time it right, you know. So um, the one thing that worked really good was MSN Menace Messenger. 
you know, because you had MSN. So you could do a chat room and you'd create a chat room and then everybody could talk. But you didn't have video and anything. But then four or five years later, when we were deployed in, in 9 and 10, you know, you could Skype somebody. You know, the technology had changed that much, you know. It, and it was the first tour was way more difficult to talk to people. But the weird thing was, is like, well, you guys, you've, you've talked to my wife. And she was like, you know, it was harder on the second deployment because, you know, they could call you at the times when, you know, I would call my wife and she was like right in the middle of her day going, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at work right I'm now. I'm fucking honey. working, you <laughs> asshole. You know, why don't you call me later on tonight? Yeah. This is the time I got to call, baby. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, phone sex. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at work, dickhead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel it's like this is, a, this is a good time to mention if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to yeah. the episode with Josh's family. It's right. oh, and listen to And listen to the episode with me, Corey, and, and yes. Mulhern, too. Yeah. It's, it's kind of almost a three-part episode. Yeah, you know? and yeah. they all really tie together. The, uh, yeah, and, there's... Uh, bring there's specific tissues. things that we talk about you know one thing uh, i wanted to ask you because mm -hmm. uh, i think it's probably the the biggest thing that i want and I, I might be jumping ahead in the, the the questions here but um i i know all of your experiences just like you right, you right. we we have a lot of the same experiences but um one thing that i've always really respected about you is you really have kind of segued. You're a public figure now. You're, you're a member of the community up there, and you're you're a leader up there in, in Shell Lake. I try. You try, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know you like I do. <laughs> but one of the things that I, I wanted to ask you in coming into this, um, and before we get too much into the weeds, because I know no, how these conversations... This is just to keep us kind yeah, of... It's kind of a template, know, yeah. yeah. Um, is, is all these experiences that you had in 04... In 05. Mm -hmm. And we were on separate bases, but in 2009, 2010, we were together. Right. And we had a lot. And our our two deployments were so vastly oh, different between the two. Wildly different. But what did you take from both of those deployments cumulatively, right? Mm -hmm. and, and because at, the, at that point in time, you were still just a kind of a patrol cop. Right, back right. Back then. So what did you use from those experiences? Sure. And... What what did you draw from those two experiences? Because every everybody says that you know, like you you build upon your experiences in life Absolutely. as to where where you are right now. So now now that you're here, I mean, you're you're a city council member, you're a police chief. I mean, those are pretty serious freaking accomplishments, Dave. I mean, not everybody can go out and say, you know, I was a member of the military. I'm I'm the police chief of Shell Lake, mm -hmm. and I'm also a member of city council, and you, yeah. you have future plans and everything, but I'm, I, I yeah. know we've talked about it, but I'm right. not going to bring that up yeah. here. No. You know, but what did you draw upon those experiences from your military career? Cumulative. Cumulatively. Cumulative. Between those two, those two experiences uh, on your deployments. The leadership principles you're taught in the military um, apply in the civilian and all that. Yeah. Um, TLPs, troop leading procedures, um, leadership styles. What you're able to draw out of, there's good leaders and bad leaders. Absolutely. Okay. Take the good, drop the bad. But just because you have a bad leader doesn't mean you didn't learn from it. Learn how you treat people. Uh, there's, a, there's a saying in the Army, mission first and men always. I apply that to my day. I alluded to it earlier in our little fun thing that we were doing earlier. 
I've been work. I'm the chief of police, 24 years. I was working doubles all last week for the sole purpose of letting my guys have some time off, hunt the rut, spend some time with their families. I make the schedule. I wouldn't have to do that. That's applying what you're talking about, Josh. It's leadership. It still applies. Leaders eat last. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fucking amen. So. I'd still yeah, go home, spend some time with your family, get some time in the bow stand. I got this. I always. I still work nights house. and weekends. Um, yeah, on paper, I'm a Monday through Friday admin guy, but I, I'm still a working chief. I still respond to domestics, make you're traffic stops, write and ticket. You know, still going to pull that twelve hour guard shift. Yeah, I just give you my license plate if you want to put it on the exemption list. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I worked thirteen hours uh, Monday through Thursday last week. I wouldn't have to do that, but that is what I'm learned from a community uh, cumulative, excuse me, leadership style. Mission Fest, and and take care of your men, and your men will take care of you. It gives them a chance to go unpack, unwind a little bit. Yeah, get them a chance to chill. Uh, If any of our freaking politicians are out there listening right now, please take note of this, because that is a true principle of leadership, and I don't don't care what party you belong to or whatever, but listen to that, because freaking that that is the core fundamental of being a leader. You, you know, know and never ask I can also somebody pick up to the, do something that you yourself right. are not willing to do. Were pick you up able the to phone do that over when you're deployed? Obviously, you can't go out in a deer stand in the middle of the area. Right. But yeah. No, hey, but shooting coyotes off your... the observation points was a thing, hypothetically, of course, because, you know, negligent discharge. But, you know, uh, you got to keep tuned in on your uh, marksmanship skills and their, you know, real life is good stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, did you ever, did you know, being a, a squad leader, unit leader, sorry, I'm going to fuck that up the rest no, of the night, fine. but did you, were you able to kind of pinpoint like this guy's on his edge? He needs to go decompress. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. That. And you apply that to today's world because look at the, the nature of the calls we go to in law enforcement, mental health, drugs, suicide, all the normal cop stuff, right? Well, we identified, we had those people in the army too, you know, okay. I don't know how many nights I didn't get to sleep or my soldier got to sleep because he was suicidal. I had to take the, you know, yeah. the the firing pin out of his weapon and make sure he didn't get up in the middle of the night and do something stupid. Okay? That's what leaders do. Okay? So, yeah, I'm dog-ass tired. I haven't slept in three days. So you're asking sleep because you're suicidal, but that's what we do for each other. Dave, uh, so, Dave was... Dave, Dave was the first one who really kind of freaking taught me that, you know, look, you have good leaders, right? And you can learn something from, but you're going to learn more from the guy who does everything wrong. Mm-hmm. Take the gold nuggets. Take, you, you take the gold nuggets and you freaking, you put them up there. And you, that's what you, that's what you aspire to be. But the guy who's doing everything wrong, you're going to learn more from him. Right. Because you just learned how to not do it. Mm-hmm. Dave really kind of freaking taught me that as I was an NCO coming up. Like I said, I've, I've leaned upon this man quite a bit, you know? And so like uh, some of the questions I might have are a little bit different than the list, yeah. list you had there. So I'm kind of picking, <laughs> yeah, I'm cherry picking some data out of his head here. here maybe, yeah, just, maybe yeah, I'll run. Away. For, uh, don't I'll, drain I'll, it all out there. Yeah, I'll, run, there. I'll run for politics <laughs> later on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't well, drain Josh, it all out at once. Jo- Josh, you helped changed my perspective after the first time you came down with Corey and Penny 
you said thank you. This is something we haven't talked about outside of our circle ever. And that you could all but watch my brain blow out the back of my skull onto the wall because I assume that's what guys in the military do. They talk to each other, yada, yada. Right. But going back to that, you know, seeing guy, here's a guy who's suicidal or he needs to go decompress. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you address that? Do you get that pushback? Like if if he talks to me, and I know there's a lot of that going on now, that if they talk to the psychiatrist, it's going to mm. go up the food chain and it's going right. to affect them right, down right. the road. So how do you, as a guy in a leader leadership position... I would talk to a friend in the foxhole having a beer about any of those issues every day of the week and twice on Sunday versus in a professional shrink mm-hmm. or a counselor or anything. You, I'm the kind of guy that you can talk to me, and my, my community knows that too. What happens, in my, unless I am duty-bound or obligated under the law to act upon it, You and I, I routinely have citizens come into my office. Dave, I just need to be heard. No problem. Have a seat. You want to laugh? You want to cry? You want to throw my shit off the desk? What do what, what you got going? I will work with you. I will listen. I will refer Services, I'll give what I call old fat guy advice. Uh, Sometimes that's the best. But most, mostly, just listen. Most people just want to be heard. Here's the key. Trust. Whatever said there, when I walk out of the office, it's not like, hey, guess what so-and-so told me. No, 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 that's not how this shit works. Yeah. Uh, you okay. got to trust. You got to build that relationship, build the trust. Um whether that's with your guys in a military unit or with your community. It's amazing what people come into my office and tell me. Intimate, some very graphic, horrible things that have occurred in their life, whether it's drugs or sexual assaults or, you know, whatever. I have the resources. I will listen. If I'm duty-bound to, you know, act, I certainly will. But that's huge. Listen to your people. Listen to your citizens. Listen to the troops in your squads, your platoons. Now, does that mean you have to make a knee-jerk uh, leadership decision based on somebody's want? You know, we called it the E4 Mafia. <laughs> no, no. But, yeah, listen. Actually listen. What's the core problem? Peel back the layers of the onion. You know, get. I am a firm believer in breaking it down Barney style. Mm-hmm. Take very complex issues and break it down to a simplest form you can. Or kiss, keep it simple, stupid. It works. Don't overcomplicate shit. Listen to people. Apply some basic humanity to things, and it'll get you a lot, lot further. At the end of the day, we're all human. We all freaking have those basic core needs, whether you want to call it the hierarchy of needs or anything. But sometimes just having somebody that you can go to and sitting there and going, I need to get this off my chest. And just having somebody, whether it's in a freaking leadership role or or a public figure, you know, just getting that off your chest. Is, well, literally, yeah. commun- literally, it can mean life well, or death. You know? In yeah, communication, like, every AAR, after action review, I mean, in the military, you can't walk sideways three steps forward, four steps, and then fart without having an after action redo. What went well? What didn't went well? What would you do different? Blah, blah, blah. What right? did we do right? And right. what did we wrong? Right. <laughs> Apply those well, same what principles we did right to is the very civilian short world. Yeah. Okay, what can we do better? Always in in the 32nd Infantry Brigade, always forward is our motto. Always forward. What can we do First better? 
uh, first and forward, keep, use those same basic principles. This stuff isn't hard, folks. It's not hard. You just have to apply it consistently. And, yeah. So, so I, got a, I got another question for you. When, yeah. when you came up on retirement, what was the big... Because I know me and Gordon have talked about this before. Like, right. What was the big catalyst for you deciding... <clears throat> to retire? Because I, 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 I know you were overseas. We were overseas when you... You, you kind of hit that point and mm-hmm. when we came back. You know, but what was what was the big catalyst where you said, I've had enough, I'm done? Uh, a couple of things. One, my wife. Um, I did two tours. They had 23 years, four months, and five days. Not that I counted. <laughs> um, <laughs> she asked me some really basic questions. Do you have your retirement locked in? Yeah. What happens if you take the promotion? This is where it'll, it'll really connect it for you guys with me and Josh. I was the number one selection for promotion in the state of Wisconsin to yep. first sergeant. Yep. Okay. Take yep. the promotion to your extension on your contract with a probability unknown at that time, but likelihood of another deployment. My wife says, you do what you got to do. Yes, I understand the retirement, more money, you know, more stature, rank, blah, blah, more blah, work. right? But uh, if you deploy again, you'll come home single. Okay, I got it. Um, and the other thing is at that time, and I'm very proud of the fact that I was an infantry grunt right up to the bitter end my entire career. And, you know, I think most guys would argue that I could hold my own and walk circles around some of the 20 year olds. But I was looking at my platoon one day at formation, 40 guys, half of them were younger than my oldest son at home. Like, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> I'm getting too old to kick doors and climb hills and hump rucksacks. And, and and the Army changed from what I joined in 89 to 2012 when I retired. It was just different. I'm doing PowerPoint presentation and f- uh, filling out battle trackers for battalion and uh, doing NCOERs on my days off in between drill weekends. You know, I was doing 20 hours a week in between drill weekends writing evaluation reports on soldiers and whatever so yeah so anyway that was the deciding maker and and i knew the guy i know my people knowing your people is huge civilian world as well as military know your people know your people know what they're good at what they're not good at their capability i knew the guy that needed to be the first sergeant next sitting right there um so um, I was his boss for a while. I stepped aside, retired, and I put a couple of phone calls and hints and suggestions in, and Josh was promoted to that position, and I retired in uh, December 2012. So, yeah. um, I took over as platoon sergeant Alpha Company, and they, he stayed on an extra year <clears throat> in order for me. So when I came up, I could take over that position. And um, I moved right into his job after, you know. And um, he he did me a huge, huge, huge favor doing that, you know. And he he took on an extra year of work, basically dealing with something that he didn't really want to deal with, you know. But, um, yeah, I took over. I literally walked in one day, and I said, I'm here to take over your job. And he's like, 
I've been waiting for you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go do the inventory. So yeah, I had to go do a whole platoon yeah. inventory. Yeah. You know, and yeah, and that day, and then that was it. That was his last drill. Yeah. And he never And did. then uh, so civilian yeah. career happened to fall in line to, uh, in October of 12, uh, my predecessor, the former chief of police, retired. And uh, one of the verbal obligations that I made, if I was the guy selected to replace him, I would also potentially retire from the military. It's a little hard running a police department and being the chief of police in a community and you're playing army on the side and possible deployments and stuff. So so you, you might be a member of the national guard, you know, as you know, E five, E six, maybe below. Once you get above and you get into the senior NCO level, um, it almost becomes a full-time job. Oh, for sure. You know, because you're doing so much work. There's so much stuff that has to be done in between drills. You're not getting paid for it. No. You know, <laughs> but you're doing, like he said, you're, you're prepping freaking PowerPoint presentations. You're getting ready for NCOERs. You're making sure people are freaking doing this. You've got, at any given time, six to freaking maybe 15 people who need to pass a PT test. So you've designated guys who are t- keeping track of it. it it is almost a full-time job that you... Plus, you have your regular full-time job right. that you're trying to take care of. And then try to be a father and a yeah. husband and all this father other stuff, too, husband, right? You only have so much bandwidth. It, right. You've only like got so much day. bandwidth. It's, right. It is a lot of work to become, become an NC, a senior NCO in, in the Army National Guard. You know, and it takes a lot. It takes a, a supreme amount of effort to do that, you know. I... I've been in engineering my whole life, which is, you know, I'm engineer by trade and everything else. You know, um, this guy actually wrote a freaking letter of recommendation for me at one point in my life because um, I was thinking about going into a, a specific career. He wrote a letter of recommendation to me. <laughs> he handed it to me because I don't know if you want this, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know how he did it. Because he became police chief while he was a senior NCO and everything else. And, you know, a mad respect. Mad respect, you know. and Love you, man. Bro. Yeah, cheers. Not everybody can do that kind of stuff, you know. And it's amazing because when you think about it, he took on that almost an added aspect of it just to take care of one of his guys, you know. So slow clap, slow yeah. clap for you, buddy. Yeah. I appreciate it because it got me freaking. It right. got me a little bit well, ahead of where, where I was at. But you know, you and know. if you carry those same concepts over into the civilian world, it's not going to steer you wrong. It's just not. People are people. You know, um, identify their strengths. We work with them, communicate, build relationships. Um, do you think? Do you think? Um, to segue a little bit or piggyback uh, mm-hmm. on that on that what you're saying there do you think what was your favorite thing about being a leader in the guard not so much on your on your on your civilian side but what was your favorite thing about being a leader just just being in the guard as opposed to the the regular army and everything else mm-hmm. but what was the what was the what was the cool thing that like that kept you going that extra year the guys you know? the guys always it, 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 the, frustrate you sometimes yep 
laugh, cry. Travis Latham. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking I at you, Latham. I'm calling yep, you out right yep, now. Travis Latham calling We're you out. We're looking at you, Travis Latham. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and still in contact with him through social media today. Yeah. You know, good, good He's guy, a good dude. but he was challenging, dude. Oh my God, did uh, he give us fucking headaches, man? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, they kept me young, for lack of a better description, I guess. Um, how how the hell old was I when I was? <laughs> or the second lieutenant had to do David Sands oh, calling you out. <laughs> well, I was forty years old when I retired as an infantry door kicker. Um, I was old enough to be their dad, and hence the the analogy: platoon sergeant is also the platoon daddy. Yeah. And, and then we'd have new lieutenants come in straight out of OCS or yeah. the yeah technically they're in charge they're a commission officer like I want dude to. but I got boots I want older to. than you are and you don't know shit I so. watched <laughs> I watched I watched a brand new lieutenant walk up to this man right here going you know you should do this with your uniform <laughs> sergeant first class hands went and looked at him and go go fuck yourself lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> True story. True story. <laughs> True story. Show me the regulation, but go fuck yourself, Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> yep, sure did. You know, and, and you yeah, apply that yeah, same basic stuff, concept man. of uh, yeah, leadership. Okay, yeah, LT or uh, even a captain sometimes. Yeah. yeah, you're in charge, and you're gonna say, "Let's do this," and the old crusty guy says, "Hold my beer." Slow down, take a breath. Instead of going directly up the machine gun fire, we're going to zig, we're going to zag, and we're going to go around the hill, and then we're going to win. That's what our jobs were. Take that same concept as you're sitting on a county board with a county board chairman or working with another chief of police or a sheriff or another agency in the real world and say, you know, yep, you can get to the end zone going straight ahead, but if you zigzag... You're going to still make the touchdown. You're not going to get your ass kicked. Okay. So there's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And the older guys that have been there, done that, understand that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know what the book says. Yeah. But, but you have this 22 year old hot shot LT coming right out of Academy and he right. knows everything in the well, world. Yeah. Because, the book said, yeah, you know, um, okay, well, <laughs> I, I get that a lot. I work in corporate American. I get that a lot. Right. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's the leadership, right? Knowing, and understanding my place in there. Yes, I have some experience, but compared to others, right. I should probably just shut my mouth and listen for a few seconds and get some input out of it. Well, Sometimes the old Vietnam the era drill sergeants that I had. Be quiet and listen. Yeah. My favorite guy was from Arkansas. He said, "Private Wilson, you done good job throwing them gonades. You did much gooder today." <laughs> <laughs> he was that guy, and he was an old Vietnam guy. Yeah, now one time I I might have come up with an idea or something that I shouldn't have. <laughs> he said, Private Wilson, shut the fuck up. I'm fucking this cat. You just hold the legs. <laughs> All right. So, you know, you take those learning experiences, cumulative, like Josh yeah. is talking about, and you take all these little pieces that you learn over the years, and you're like, man, there's one more, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And you just apply them in your everyday life. Troop leading procedures is the fancy word for it. Okay. Uh, your five paragraph, I think it's up to six paragraphs now. They yeah. changed it on. But the, the paragraph, what's your mission? What is your goal? It's amazing to, for me to watch our society not identify what their mission and goal is. 
What's your target? What's your end game? So they go on this rhetoric or this platform or this policy direction, and you haven't even identified what your end game is. Oh my God. What's your what are you trying to accomplish here? Other than piss people realize, off. Do you realize <laughs> do you realize the consequences of what this right. is going to cause? Right. Do you realize what it you're might doing sound like here. a great idea, but do you realize the consequences of what's going to happen? So. It, it, it's, it's. I have another a guy like me scratching my head. I have yeah, another shoot. question for you. Looking back at your career, mm-hmm. both you can take it all, or you can just look at the military. What are your regrets, and what are your mm. things that you go? And I did that fucking right. I did that right. But what mm. what are what are the two different contrasts there? It's a hard question. It, it? it is. Yeah. It's easy but hard. Yeah. Um, I always think it. You know, every person has pivotal points in their life: marriage, kids, career changes, whatever. My my first the highlights. One, yeah. The highlights. Yeah. The first one was. Um, Join the uh, National Guard in California or stay on active duty, take the promotion. And quite frankly, I would have been a bat boy with the 70 ra- uh, 75th Rangers active duty. Or with a, the a path- per- with 100% disability rate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or dead or yeah. whatever, you know. No. Uh, or go to college, pursue a career in law enforcement, and be at where I am at currently. Those are pivotal decision points. Looking back, sometimes I wonder what it would look like if I had made the other decision. What if I had made the other decision to go to the Air Force Academy? Is that is that a regret? No, it's not a regret per se. Like, what's, um, what's one thing that you can point to and say? You, what's one thing that you can say and say I regret doing that in the military? In the military, like, what is one thing that you can look at and say? Well, I that was the one thing that I regret doing. Oh. Asking the hard questions. <laughs> I, I I always ask this because uh, uh, the one I'm always curious about it because I always I always say this I don't I can't answer that question fully and completely because I can't tell you because uh, I don't know. Yeah, I I, I I don't know. But some people I've asked this question. They say I regret doing this. I regret going and going to Pathfinder because it changed the my military career. I regret going and do this. But I can't honestly I, you don't say really, I regret anything, Josh. You don't you don't know because I, it, that would have changed everything. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. And I always go through life. I always say I don't have any regrets because I learned from everything that I did mm-hmm. wrong. Right. You know? But I I'm always curious to ask that because some people do have that one moment in their life where they're like I I really regret I really, I should not have said this to this one person. I regret it totally and completely because it totally changed my life. Right. And I always wonder, I always wonder, well, I regret almost becoming a first sergeant. Mm. You know, I almost regret it because it, it separated me from being on that core level with soldiers. Mm-hmm. Because as a platoon sergeant, you have your finger on the pulse mm. of of a platoon, an entire platoon. It is so hard when you become a first sergeant to get your finger. You know where things are at and within your within your company. Mm-hmm. 
but at the same time, you don't have that same interaction that you do as a squad leader or as a platoon sergeant. You know, it, it becomes like the CEO of a private company knowing what the the mail clerk does in the basement. Correct. Correct. Uh, yeah. No, dude, I'm the CEO of the company. I don't know what my mail clerk does anymore. Sorry. Even if you were a mail clerk <laughs> right. at one point in time in your career, right. you know. Yeah, I I can't say that I can pick out any regrets. Yeah personal decisions i've made over my career yeah you know uh i don't i had a long uh, a long break in between e6 and e7 which is why i was able to give you the advice and guidance that i did i wasn't willing to move i was in love with rice lake unit okay best guys ever and i stayed there too long so i should have been promoted earlier with time and grade, more retirement points, probably would have made first sergeant sooner versus later, blah, blah, blah. He would have been a great first sergeant, man. Uh, appreciate it. Um, but I stayed too long, and which is the advice I gave you. You got to move. You got to take, yeah. take these opportunities take because if you don't, you're going to get stagnant like I was, and I lost about six years of promotion and upward movement. So that would be a good regret. You, that you was regret a, taking, a regret. Taking you know, I had an opportunity to move, but I love my guys. I love my unit. I mm. love where I drilled. It was closer to home and blah, 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 and all these other rationalization things that you do. You but it cost me six years of my career. Um, so when when you're doing that how are like i guess looking at that like if you had to give advice to somebody mm-hmm. how much of like comfort should you be willing to sacrifice to move right uh good question yeah That's great really question. question don't wow. ever put yourself into a box i think is the the initial reaction that i would have to answer okay. that um leave your doors open See the opportunities for what they are as opportunities and not um, blockades. Um, yes, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. New changes, something new. You got to learn something new. I got to move. I got to drive somewhere else. I got to meet new people that I've never met before. I'm sitting in a basement with two guys right now talking into a radio <laughs> that I've never met before in my whole life, right? Okay. That doesn't bother me anymore because and that's all Josh's fault. Right? It's all yeah, Josh's fault. It's all Josh's fault. I take full responsibility. I did it, and I will do it again. You know, don't be fearful of the unknown. Um, if it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, learn from it and change direction and move on. That's one thing. Like Gordon, Gordon asked me. You know, when he when he brought this brought this up, and, you know, being a co-host and all that other stuff. You know, and I, one thing that I think is really freaking. Um, significant is i love the name of this podcast no story left behind mm-hmm. you know there's and, a story behind that we'll get off off oh, here because yeah. of legal reasons but i think it's i think it's <laughs> critical because it, you I, I mean yeah i think your story is um amazing man i think i, I think it's 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 super cool you know not everybody has done what you have done dave mm-hmm. you know and i think it needs to be heard and i think it's really cool that um, you're talking to two guys that you've never met in your life, you mm-hmm. know, and we all shared a beard and we're, now we're sharing a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, uh, but I think it's, it's really cool. And I think it's, you know, especially given the current situation, like in our country and everything, I hope more people listen to this and I hear, I hope they hear what you have to say, because I've taken a lot of what you've taught me over the years and, um, I've applied it to my life, mm-hmm. you know, and I applied it to the soldiers that I led later on in, in my life. 
This guy was the first one to tell me. You know, if you hear that little voice in the back of your head going, <laughs> yeah, this is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. right. Don't fucking do it. That Always go with shit. your gut, man. I would have a full company in formation going, yeah, don't do stupid shit because you're going to hear that little voice in the back of your head yep. going, if it's a bad idea, it probably is not something you should. Well, Which, I can directly relate that to it. So, He's sitting here talking to us, and he's he, he's telling us all these stories, and we're asking him all these questions off of this list and stuff. But at the same time, how many more people have you touched just vicariously through through what you taught? And I'm not the only one. I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean, there, I know there's other guys, uh, Bobby Craig, Greg right. Schaff, Jordan Ellison, Mike Sampson. You know, how many of your guys? And your freaking squad went on to become cops because you were a freaking police officer, you know? Maybe a couple. Not a know? freaking job that is really like... And, and the interesting dynamic Do you want to be a police officer right now? I don't know about that. Do the interesting lot. dynamic yeah. of that, Josh, is that some of these guys, quite frankly... They didn't like me at the time. Uh, no, you know you don't really like your. Uh, you, you, they, I wasn't necessarily don't. a popular, cool kid, and I, you know, Sergeant Wilson's a dick and blah blah. blah. <laughs> but you know, ten years there to make ten, friends. But yeah, you're there ten to years teach later, people. I get a yeah, message yeah. out of the blue saying thank you. I'm like, what are you thanking me for? Being my mentor. Yeah. No. Which, uh, which like, brings damn. up two questions I have for you. Uh, yeah. The first one. Who is your mentor? I mean, Josh, you, Josh, oh, you mentioned you. Yeah. He's helped you moved into that position. I mean, who was there for you? Whether it was direct one-on-one contact or cumulative. Did you read a book or I've had like great that? commanders. Yeah. I've had shitty commanders. I've had great first sergeants. I've had shitty first sergeant. Cumulative. I mean, we're Would talking them- about a twenty-three year span here. I mean, I don't even know how old you are, Gordon. <laughs> Not mentioning names or anything. <laughs> I'm a I'm a, a spry thirty-two. A spry thirty-two. So I, you're talking about a span of twenty-three years. Yeah. Let's do some basic math on that concept. Well, for me personally, like I said, I work in corporate America. <clears throat> I've been in sales, customer service for twenty years of my thirty-two on this planet, mm-hmm. and I half joke, half serious with people. The first five to ten don't count. Right. Because I remember right. being the first employee, and at the time I was thinking, like, oh, it's my first job. I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. And now looking back, it's like, wow, I was a piece of fucking shit. <laughs> How did I not get fired, you know, at all mm-hmm. in the first ten years? I, I think the one that just immediately pops into my head, uh, there's two. But it's over a cumulative 23-year period of time. Toward the end of my career, my first sergeant at the time, Charles Polino, and me retired at the same time. And we talked a lot. Obviously, I was running a platoon. He was running the company level. I mean, we communicate. That's what you got to do as leaders. And uh, we talked career planning. We talked, you know, he gave me a lot of advice that was sound. Um, After the fact, and it wasn't until later, I truly truly appreciated one of my commanders, Colin Nevin, as a captain at the time. Um, his leadership style is just amazing. Um, and how he shared that with me, guiding me, was very indirect, which is why I didn't realize it until after the fact. It's like, oh, I'm dealing with stuff today in 2020 going... How would Colin have addressed that issue? Who? Colin Nevin. Captain oh, Nevin. Captain Nevin, yeah. Um, you know, so I take all these leaders I've been exposed to over the years, 
and go ask myself the litmus test question. What would so-and-so do with this set of circumstances? And then apply it or try to apply it to your current, you know. So, yeah, I mean, but I've had cumulative. Uh, Josh alluded to that earlier. You take all those experiences, you're wrapping them up in a big ball, and, okay, um, and then try to shit it out the other end yeah. and, and apply it the best you can. Uh, in the civilian world, good law enforcement officials, administrators, bad uh, administrators, take the gold nuggets and leave the crap over here and take the gold points and apply them. Um, you can learn just as much from somebody who is a bad leader as you can a good leader if you're willing to mm -hmm. identify it. What do, you, what do you see as a law enforcement officer? What do you see when you see stuff like, you know, I'll, I'll use um, current events and stuff like the George Floyd, mm -hmm. you know, the officer. I know police officers really don't like to criticize other police oh, officers. Oh, that's tough. You know, the thin blue line, you know, just I'm, like the thin green yeah, line, the, uh, thin the green brotherhood. Line. I, know, I, I know that's a difficult thing to bring mm -hmm. up with police officers, but what is it that you see given the current climate in our country right now? Because um, I know I, I have said this for years, and you, you know I've said this for years. Mm -hmm. You cannot pay me enough money to be a police officer right now. It's you tough. really could not. It's I would not right want now. to be a police officer. But I've grown up, when I was a kid and I was younger, police officers were always like, oh, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the, the clouds parted and a light came down, the angels right. sang and yeah. everything. And as I've, as I've gotten, older, gotten older and my lifestyle and stuff, I, I, I'm a biker. Yep. I am. I'm yep. a biker. Um, uh, I run with the club. Every I run law to the letter, of course. And we're gonna go with that. <laughs> <laughs> just say yes, Josh. You know, just say yes. I do. You know, but bikers and cops have not traditionally really gotten along. Right. You know, and but at the same time, I've I've worked with police officers. Mm -hmm. You know, I know police officers. Um, I'm friends with police officers, sure. and there are police officers that if you insult them in my presence, I'm coming across the table and I'm going to fuck you up right. bad, you know, because I, I know the quality of the character that you are. Right. But at the same time, I've run across cops. We were talking about this earlier in my right. house, you know, where it's like Minneapolis PD has had a reputation for years of being <laughs> dicks, you know, and I've, I've had my run-ins with MPD and, you know... Where do you see stuff in 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 our current climate? Being a police officer, given given all of your experiences and stuff, because I know cops don't like to criticize each other, like right. I was alluding to you earlier. Right. But what do you think you could say to somebody? Because I, I we always hear this one. You know, cops need to be trained better. Well, you've never gone through the training. If you right. think you can do a better job. Go through the training <laughs> pony and become up, the right. change that yeah. you want to become. I have yeah, pony you know, up, I want to build up. on that, but yeah, right. I want to hear but, your response. But from a police officer's mm -hmm. perspective, what do you think, without Take crossing it. that blue line, yeah. because you know, what do you think would really help? Because it is really a critical, critical it question. Is. It right? is. I mean, in today's yeah, we're, we're at like a really you interesting know, crossroads right now. We are. We are. Uh, well, let's do the Dave Wilson break it down Barney stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Take well, very, way, very <laughs> complex to the simplest form. One of those concepts is there's nobody that dislikes bad cops more than good cops. Okay. We will weed out our own 
as a general broad stroke rule. Just like in a military unit, we know who the shit bags are. We know who the shit bags are. And, and they will take catch the heat and the rest of the guys will take care of it. Just like yeah. it maybe an MC or a club or any organization. Yeah. Okay. You police so, yourself first and foremost. Nobody hates bad cops. Better more than good cops. More than good cops. Okay, so if, let's... If I may interrupt you real quick before yeah. I forget that point. For me, as somebody on the outside, civilian, never mm-hmm. served, have never been a... You know, I, my grandpa was a police chief, but that was a in the 40s and 50s. It's sure. a completely different era. Right. It looks like to people like myself that there isn't enough of that going on, whether it's behind the scenes or publicly, for that matter. Right. Another in, basic... Not, not in every not in every community. Obviously, you take Minneapolis, St. Paul, compared right. to Northwood, small Wisconsin. Town, that's small town America different. is a lot different than... Well, than right. Yeah, big and town. Then I would say, I would argue, bigger the city, the bigger the politics. Potentially. Yeah, you got the politics true. thing, but more importantly, I think you break it down in its simplest form that I can. Every department... Every organization has their own culture. Uh, Every entity, uh, what is allowed 40 years ago is now being seen from that same organization currently. So unless you change the organizational direction, okay, let's face it, there is a potential reputation. uh, MPD's got a culture. MPD has a reputation. uh, It's not a huge secret. Uh, whether it's from the civilian perspective or or otherwise. Um, so look at your agency, your uh, departments, look at your org- any entity, any organization, and look at the culture. Start with that. Um, if you got to change something, change something. Change it internally first, chain of command kind of thing. If the E5 team leader can't handle it, then you go to the squad leader. If you can't go to the squad leader, you go to the platoon sergeant. And then you go, you work it through the chain. And it, I don't like the idea of it getting up to these mayors and these city council, in some cases, governors making decisions about an organization well, when really, they've never had any contact with the not, organization. Yeah, yeah. They're not really part of the organization. They're not part of the organization. If you can't It's like having the president it, coming down and telling a freaking platoon leader going, right, <laughs> you know, right. Uh, yes, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Fun. And to, to flip the coin on what I just said, I've also seen a lot of posts out there on social media where there's cops doing just that, right? Know, being involved with the community. I mean, Christ is... Uh, they're having a water gun fight with the local yeah. neighborhood kids. And it's like, why is that not national television? Because it doesn't fit the narrative. Right. Yeah. That's why. But now, a lot of times there's but I've also seen, too, and yeah. I've listened to a few podcasts, <laughs> uh, I'll talk to you off air, mm-hmm. um, where he went into the department and he wanted to change it because it right. was one of the founding cities of the KKK. Sure. And he's a, well, Indian, Indian or black American. Either way first person of color ever in the history of the city to become a cop. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to try like heart, hell to change the culture. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And he had minor success going back on that micro versus macro scale. But on the macro right. scale, I mean, it, it's the old boys club. Control what you so can control. Too. If, you know, me and Casey, we're new recruits going out, right out of the right. academy and we see town ABC. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how do we change a culture? So I feel like what you're trying to ask is how much is bottom up and how much is top down. Right. Without towing the line. And change, realize change what you can control and change. 
don't try to change a national narrative scale when you only have control of a pond of 5,000 yeah. people or an organization or 10,000 people. Focus on that pond. In the military, we've talked about this earlier, after action review, AARs. Three ups, three downs, right? Three goods, three bads, however guys, you want to. Do you guys know what an AAR is? After action yes. review. Yeah. Okay. okay. So you three ups, three positives, so, three negatives. How okay. do we correct this? Start those in your organizations. In every single in every single training event, that the, uh, I'll, I'll put it down to the level of what I know. So in, in the military, in the infantry, let's say we're going to go out and we're going to practice battle drill one alpha, which is you get... A group that's online, the bad guys are here focused on a, a specific point, point A, okay? The infantry squad or the infantry platoon comes up, fix a level, and then you maneuver around to to take care of the objective. So that's, you know, you, you flank them, basically. That's battle drill one alpha, you know? So an infantry unit will go out and practice this, and after that, we always have an after action review. It doesn't matter what we do. We could do a road march. We could do battle drill one alpha. We could do assault and objective. We could freaking blah, 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 blah. There's a million things that we could practice. But after every single thing that we practice, we do an AAR, an after action review. And the standard format is three things we did right, three things we did wrong. What can we approve on? Blah, blah, blah. And it goes after that, you know. And the civilian civilian world doesn't really do stuff like that, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think they should really. I I, I think I think like, they should. I think like if we ran a podcast here, you could freaking we go <laughs> the guys who run the podcast. Could, okay, what did we do right? right? What did we do wrong? What can we do better to improve upon that stuff? You know. And I've tried and, to take that approach with Casey and my co-hosts from the other show. Yeah. Ben. Hey, I, what did you guys think? I've been there for every meeting, Gordon. You have not done that approach. Directly commiserate. What do you think? I say directly commiserate no. about how much Casey been tells me everything yeah. was great, but Ben, Ben, so, thankfully, has been there and like hypercritical of it. Like, you sucked at this. Here's a, a video. Here's a book I read. Fix your shit before you do the next yeah, episode. Right. I'm like, oh fuck, I, yeah, I needed that. I, right. I think it's important. Yeah. So oh, no, do you think MPD did a freaking after-action review after the George Floyd incident? I would be wildly interested to know the answer to that question. Yeah, I would be wildly interested to know the answer to that uh, So that let's circle back well. to that. It's not yeah. a huge secret. It's out there. Uh, I you, actually wrote something on do you think about they did the George Floyd issue from my little burb in northern Wisconsin. Okay? Do I have any direct impact on MPB and George Floyd? No. But I could tell you exactly, and I've nailed it every time, what was going to happen within 12 hours, 24, 36. I can predict this. This is not new to our profession. We literally have our management conferences, and we talk about things called the Ferguson effect. Yeah. I told you earlier yeah. in our conversation, yep. gentlemen, Ferguson, I, think, yeah. I was locked and loaded with an M16 rifle in my hand heading to L.A. for the Rodney King riots. Okay? This is not our first rodeo. I can tell you how, to a certain level of certainty, how things are going to shake how the public's going to react. Your city was on fire in 36 hours. Good Lord, have mercy. Okay? So if you look 
did they do an AAR? I'd love to know the answer to that question. I doubt they did. But, um, but I did an AAR before I wrote this thing, right? Guys, it's not what you're seeing. It's what you're not seeing. Look at the white space. Look at the empty space. Look at some of the basic training SOP stuff. Uh, audio exclusion. Override officer overrides. The, hey, the dude, you're you know even in the military we the did critical, this. And the, Josh, you're losing your shit. You just tap him on the shoulder. It's verbal and non-verbal. Dude, you need to calm down. Uh, you know, are you actually listening to what he is saying to the you? Critical the critical citizens thing, on the streets. The, the critical, critical thing thinking about skills. An AAR, the critical thing about an AAR is uh, okay. Is that when you go into an AAR, is there's no repercussions. Okay, right. so it's you neutral. go up and you say, Casey, you fucked up on this. Right. You did wrong. Okay, you you were screwed up, but that's all that's all it goes. Okay, and the the whole point of it is to let you know you should have done better on this. Right. Okay, because it's a teachable moment. You can't freaking hold it over that person no. to 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 go mm -hmm. in the forward to go forward into the future because you're supposed to learn yeah, from that's it. It's the a, end it's game. A teachable moment. How do you not have those situations occur again? In, that's in the, the end game. In the civilian world, it is almost impossible to do that. It's so, tough. So here's it is almost impossible. Yeah, well, and that, that was that was because my question: is how do you do that in a civilian you, thing you, where everybody is trying to get the you, one up on the other person? How do you go up to Derek Shove and and go, "You did this wrong." <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, well, I'm pretty sure you fucking know what you I did wrong. I think the yeah. answer, and this is a little bit off the cuff, a little knee jerk, but I think it, where it gets complicated to get to that point is because politics get involved. The politics do get involved. They get involved. The national narratives get involved. <laughs> Better yet, the, media. The city councils. Media uh, gets involved. The media. Okay, you got so many outside influences. Yeah not organic to the organization that are pushing and pulling and power structuring and doing all these moving parts from the outside that has absolutely nothing to do with the organization itself, that complicates things. Okay, let's face it, the defund the police movement, right? It's a thing. That started, as we know it in our current times, with the George Floyd issue. That's where it started. Uh, um that's what okay, but popular, who's, yeah. who, who actually started that? Was it the organization of MPD? No. It was the media. It was the city councils. It was the mayor, the governor. Yeah. Okay, once it gets to that level, you can't control it no more. You have no positive control of your organization. Yeah, Rolling Stone, yeah. So I can't, if there was something that was broken, I can't fix it, even as a chief, as a captain, as a lieutenant. as a, I, I, Dude, it's out of... It went out of my control. Becomes a monster. So I, I've talked to some people that I consider left wing, but there's people that I can have conversations on both sides of the aisle that absolutely. I find that are absolutely level headed mm -hmm. and are willing to tolerate me ruffling their feathers like Casey. <laughs> I try, man. I really do. The first I, I will get under to, his skin the, intentionally the just to hear to his just argument. Just but where I'm going in, in is... Order to, in order to solve any uh, 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 any subject or any topic, like a, a difficult conversation yeah, as this like, is... Yeah, like what we're having right okay, now. Yeah. yeah, because this is a difficult conversation. Yeah. The, yeah. the first thing you have to do is remove, remove your bias. Okay, take your left... You might be liberal, and I might be conservative. Yeah. But let's just put that to the side real quick and let's talk about it objectively and, and smartly exactly. and criti right. apply critical thinking and everything because it, it, I guarantee you at the end of the day, okay, and this is half the problem that we have in this country right now, okay, I have half of my family is liberal. The other half is verily conservative, 
Okay. You get Thanksgiving's interesting. <laughs> no, it's not. Actually, Thanksgiving is not. In holidays, well, Christmas is not because we all get together and we take politics and, and we're I like, we're, we're you, you guys are more well, than welcome to come to my Thanksgiving. So, uh, you guys are all the. But the thing is, uh, uh, the one thing, like I, I have a lot of friends on the right, on the right, who are like, we need civil war, blah blah blah, hey, a bunch uh, of boogaloo boys, and you're like, eh, you have no idea what civil war means. Shut the fuck up, yeah. because you know you're not willing to freaking. First of all, anybody who says that, and I don't care if you're left or white or left or right, or left or white. <laughs> well, Freudian there, but okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go straight up Jarvis right now. That, ladies and gentlemen, was a Freudian slip. <laughs> no, if, you, if you go left or right, okay, if you, if, if you take that and you remove all of that, right? You know, because my mom is a bleeding heart liberal socialist hippie. Wackadoodle. I am fairly right of center, gun carrying, freaking, you know, we don't get along politically. I love my mom. Right. I love my mom. I love, she's my mom. I'm not, am I going to sit there and seriously go, we need a civil war right now because all these liberals need to die. Blah, blah, blah. Fuck off, dude. (laughs) First of all, you don't, the the last people who are ever going to freaking say we need a civil war are veterans. Oh, yeah. man. And I okay. found that in the, my own personal experience you, that I would run my mouth a lot before you, you I knew have, how to fight. Now you have, you trained, have it's like, no idea what you're saying. If you say you want a civil war in this country, you have no idea what you're saying. Yeah. You're a fucking idiot. The last people that really you know? want a no, to, no shit fight, toe-to-toe, whatever fight, is people that have done it before. Yeah. But uh, I, So to, to kind of get, get after, I think, the heart of what you're saying is... If you're going to have a difficult conversation, you need to sit down with people and just realize you're both people and just have respect for your fellow thing, human being. The thing is, 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 right. is, 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 is liberals and as conservatives or as libertarians, or, is, get rid of the labels. label, get rid of the labels. First of all, first and yeah. foremost, we're both people. Yeah. We right. both live in this country and we both want the best for what's this, yeah. for what, what's going on. A but at the things. same time, we can both sit there and say, we have a lot more in common Right. Then we do. Yeah. A couple and things. And anybody who sits there and freaking. Oh, yeah. there's, ahead, a, there's a couple things as it relates to that. One, when you do have those difficult conversations, realize you may have to agree to disagree. And yeah. that's okay. That's okay. That's fine. It is yeah. okay. It's allowed. It, it is allowed. Only um, the Sith deal in absolutes. <laughs> right. Damn right. <laughs> Fucking Jedi all the way. <laughs> Jedi, right? Yeah. You know? Uh, I identify as a gray Jedi. So. Yes, me too. <laughs> yes, <gray Jedi. laughs> and it's interesting for me, um, I've never belonged to any political party. I lean right, but I have been trying to be pigeonholed my whole life. I hate it. Put That's the round peg through the square hole. I don't belong to any political party, never have, I never will. So I've come down to the conclusion that I have to describe myself as a compass. And I think, people look at me like I've lost my freaking it, noodle, right? I think I think this is almost everybody in the military says cuz I say the same damn thing. Yep. You, you, a compass. Everybody can understand what a compass is, you I think. 360 it. straight north, right? 90 degrees is hard right. 180, right in that nice little middle. 270, hard left, right? I probably okay. swing politically and socially somewhere between a 160 and a 200. I don't give a shit where the idea comes from. If it's a good idea, 
if it comes from the left and it's a good idea and it's good for our citizens and it's good for our populace and it's good policy, do it. Oh, you mean the it, way it should work? Yeah. yeah. Right. So if no, it comes it, it comes from the one sixty slightly right. Partisanship is a curse. Uh, I don't like a, bipartisan politics. And I apply that not only at work, I apply that with my political things that I do at the, at the county levels and dealing with people. If it's a good idea, it's a good idea. Let's get rid of this. I have to be hard right, hard left, red, yeah. blue crap. And I think we're going to be better off as so a nation if as, we could. That's just my personal I, opinion. I, I, would, I would love to continue this conversation. And I think it's a great conversation. Uh, but as my, oh. my job as producers, I need to bring <laughs> us back out of the weeds oh, just great. a minute. Uh, and back on topic, Gordon. Yeah. What yes. is what your you question? Got there, no, well, I just uh, no, no, no. Don't go back into the politics. Not- <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not- so much fun. <laughs> it's fun. It, it, no, it is. It All is. Right. We're we're hitting. We're about yeah. hitting two hours, and I want to make sure well, we get the yeah. record is the record is two forty five. So we're still good. Okay, okay. I said that. Yeah. Right. I hope the, so. What, yeah, what you got, yeah. Gordon? <laughs> no. So the question is not about the politics. So the okay. argument I've heard both from left and right side is mm-hmm. that create the pipeline to become an officer more difficult similar to oh. like, so the the uh the the voices saying this are retired seals and they said make it more like buds oh, where it's wow. a 6 months to a year long process but to become a politician? No, no be, to be a Oh, I agree officer. with that one. But anyway. Yes, well that should no, be I, like I a, that should be a tenure pipeline. <laughs> well, but no with that is so I I have a 10-ish, maybe more years of martial arts background, right. and I watched the video, the, the George Floyd incident. Oh. I've been taught a thousand-ish, maybe more ways to subdue somebody, restrain them to the point where, right. because I'm a civilian, I need to restrain them to the point where I have control of their body, mm-hmm. but I can also reach in my pocket and grab my cell phone, dial 911. Right. This is what happened. Right. Uh, and you're way, also a big guy. I mean, you take up a lot of space. You're yeah, sitting across from me. It's the little fellas that are squirrely little bastards. <laughs> like my my the guy that taught me, my best friend of twenty some odd years. Mm-hmm. I had him pinned underneath me. I blinked, and all of a sudden, I'm being choked out from behind, and he has his legs wrapped right, over right. mine. I have zero uh-huh. control, and I go, "What the fuck just happened?" Right. So the argument is, make it a harder pipeline for the vetting process, but. Police officers should have a. Uh, uh, I've got to answer that belt. question. I know right. where you're going. I got to answer that question with a question first, uh, Gordon. Like your second, the well, the big one, I, and I, I'm not trained in it, but Brazilian right. Jiu-Jitsu. Yep, and because that's ground game, ground game stuff. Yeah. Yep, you should have your second belt in that by a certifiable uh, gym. Right. So as an officer, and then of course make make the pay for officers higher than because I think uh, as a solution to a podcast with a guy, he said his first year out of fourteen years in a in a PD, mm-hmm. he's making twenty seven five, yep. which is fucking nothing. Right, and you can't survive off that in twenty twenty. So make it a like ninety to one hundred twenty thousand dollar paying job a year, but it's more difficult in there and allow that make it more difficult to weed out the people because as me as a filling, I've had a hundred great experiences with cops, mm-hmm. but I've also had a handful of bad experiences because they were having a bad day. Cheers. Thank you. Or right. maybe there are quote unquote air quotes with fingers. Bad yep. cop. Yep. And those are in court in sales. You know, the big thing is, uh, customers always right. Well, no customers, <laughs> 
are 75% more likely to tell their friends and family about a bad experience than they are about a good experience. Right. And so as mm-hmm. someone in sales, you have to fight that much harder so, for gonna, that good experience. I'm going to tell you, before before he gives you his answer. Because there's a lot to unpack right there, what you just a, said. There's yeah. a lot yeah. to unpack right there. So as um, I'm not a cop. I'm not a cop, but I've trained with cops, and I've gone through some cop training right. as well. And I'm not trying to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I'm no. not trying to here's, be a Karen here's, by enemy. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You just by the way, by the way, can, 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 no, Casey, get on the mic real quick because you're going to want to answer this one. Um, what is the male version of Karen? Richard. Is it Richard? I've yeah. heard. Is Jeff. it a Richard or is it a Kyle? Well, it used to be Kyle. <laughs> Kyle is the. the I've heard Jeff the, um, as well. Preteen Richard. Okay. Kyle drives a dirt bike and drinks monster. I mean, Richard is a dick. Richard is, <laughs> I have too much money, and I'm better than you. Okay. What about Brad, then? Wait, hang on, hang on. What about what about the the wimpy husband behind the Karen who just backs up what the Karen says? Oh, that's Maybe that's the Brad? Is that a Steve? All the people out there going, his name's Steve, like, fuck you, asshole. Say that to my face, motherfucker. Right, yeah. Say that to my wife's face, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> and both, uh, it should be Josh, because both of my mother-in-laws are freaking Karen. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Whatever>. snap. <laughs> um, I will say this. So after having going through... Hours after hour after hour, uh, millions of hours um, through training and then getting evaluated on a single moment based upon that training. It is almost impossible to take a training event and apply it to what you're going to do based upon a split second decision once you're in a real world situation. Okay. And the reason I bring up the Michael Art side <coughs> of the house is because my thing was basics, 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 basics. basics. The first thing you the test fundamentals, for in your the black fundamentals, yeah. Is the fundamentals. So I've 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 taken jujitsu training and 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 kiyokido as well, you know. And so it, it, you can get tested on one thing, and you go through the testing perfect. You get rated off on it. You've been awarded the belt or the next level towards achieving that belt. Okay. You take that into a real-world environment, and there are a million other different variables that right. then you then you can put into a training scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, training is one thing. And I don't mean to come across like, oh, this one no, martial no. art is the no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, um, there's a reason we have multiple tools on our belt. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I'm not boiling it down to, to simply training in one single discipline. The single most effective thing that you can do in any kind of situation, especially real-world situa- situations, and I'll put this into an em- environment where we were in Iraq, and I'm not going to name specific names, and I'm not going to freaking um, name specific people or anything, but we were running uh, um, an ECP, okay, an entry control point, and we had a vehicle that came racing up to us, okay, at the ECP. And when a vehicle came racing up to us, that is what the bad guys did, okay? Vehicle came racing up to the ECP. A guy gets out holding something. We can't identify it. A soldier on the ground engages his target and kills the person holding that something who raced up to us. Later on, upon further investigation, the guy was holding a note that he had information 
that a bomb was going to hit at a certain point. Okay, All of our training had pointed towards if a person comes running up to that ECP, you engage that target. Okay, The soldier in question did exactly what he was supposed to do. Right. Okay, he he did what he was taught how to do. Now, if we take that for just one little snapshot for a second, where the guy gets out, runs up to the ECP, gets out holding something, and is yelling and screaming, running towards us, soldier in question engages the target, kills the person who didn't have any malicious intent whatsoever, right? But kills the target. Looking at it, the soldier was in the wrong, correct? Because he just killed an innocent, innocent person, yeah. right? For no apparent reason. Okay? But he's done everything that his training and the rules of engagement taught him to do. Right. Okay? And rules of engagement are just, it's in fluid. civilian world, it's fluid. use of force. Yeah. Use and of force. Yeah. And I'm, okay. not, I'm not trying to yeah. box anybody in by no. I'm just... No. Here's no, some uh, for example, what actually, we learn so is hard. Gordon. It I'm is actually so glad you asked the question. There's it's, a lot to unpack in it, though, and I'm I'm trying to. It's so hard to take my answer. Yeah. one little snapshot from a moment where you see the guy engaging his right. target, killing an innocent person right. for doing nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, but you don't know the whole lead up, and you don't know. And you hear a lot of people say this: "Well, they should be trained better. They should be trained mm-hmm. better." You know. You cannot yeah. say that. You can't say that. And I'll even play it to the George Floyd. The one little snapshot that we saw that was live, you know, that the, the guy recorded on his cell phone, what you saw was like, <laughs> that's really bad. Dude, take your fucking knee off of his throat. For God's sakes, take your, please, please just right. take, your, take it off, you know? Right. But we saw one little freaking piece yeah. of that moment. We, we, we saw a piece of the puzzle. We didn't we get saw the entire one, picture. We didn't get the whole thing. You know, I am not by any means saying what that guy, what that cop did was right. I'm not by any means saying that. But what I am saying is you're taking one little snapshot out of a moment that was 20 minutes, 30 minutes long yeah. out of that, and you're encapsulating it down to freaking 15 to 30 seconds. Well, and that's... You know? I mean, that gets into a larger question of the court of public opinion versus... Oh, God. We, you, yeah. we're, we're unpackaging and, so yeah, much yeah, stuff. Yeah, no, and now we're, we're, we're into yeah. the weeds. Like, it's so hard. And we got a cop here, and we're all just like, give us answers right now. No, <laughs> well, I'm just told I've been interested. Here, right? in no, no, I mean, it's... Uh, well, so I, I would love to unpack this after the show, but sure. we should... Do the show. Yeah. Yes, we yeah. should. I'm sorry. We'll get off back to me. No, no, you might have that, this is my job. We're taking one little thing yep. and, and we're, we're going off of that. But at the same time, yeah. you answered that question that he just I'm just asked. curious yeah. because I hear, I listen to people on both sides of it sure. and I find myself somewhere in the middle and I'm it's like, I can understand the argument from both, but I also, you know, people on this side are talking from experience and these sure. people are talking from opinion or vice versa. It's like, I wonder what it's actually like. And at the same time, all of us are sitting there going, I wish it would have just gone so differently. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. God, I wish it would have so gone so So you might so have to bring me on track. Yeah. I'm still thinking of your question that it was a lot to unpack yeah. there. Yeah. But I can only speak to the state of Wisconsin. Now, to give you some context, you said uh, your training... The basic recruit in Wisconsin is 720 hours. 
I'll let you do the math. I think it's 22 <clears throat> weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's no joke. We also have two organizations that oversee us. There's the Law Enforcement Training and Standards Board, LSEB, um, and the Department of Justice. So, yeah, Training and Standards and Law Enforcement Standards Board, where you have to have a two-year college degree. You're trained in this stuff. Uh, the legalese, the constitutional law, so forth, and then the 720 Academy on top of that. So I think it comes out 22 weeks. That was fairly recently changed from 520, and that was pushed back from guess who? Your chiefs of police and your sheriffs across the state saying, I want my guys to have more training. Here's the areas that we'd like to see that additional training in. One of my other little other side hats that I wear is that I'm on the advisory committee for WITC for the law enforcement training. Uh, bring the real-life street-level cop stuff to the academies. This is what we want. When I go to hire somebody to be a cop, and I've hired a lot of them, especially part-timers, mm-hmm. the nature of my world, a lot of turnover, this is what I want to see. Um, so that's a quite a bit of training. Now, the original question is, that I was going to ask you in return. Are you talking about a national level standardized training? Or are you talking state by state? Because every state is yeah. different. There's so still the, states the where argument, you're 18, no felon, have gun, will travel, yeah. and you're a cop. So the argument I've heard at the for the national level, <clears throat> the most level-headed argument I should I should preface, mm-hmm. uh, is an 80, 20, uh, what is it, fuck, um, 75... 1510 or something to that degree. So mm-hmm. the bulk of your your time within a calendar year right. is spent on the job. Roughly 20% of that is training uh whether it is in a you know for example, you know, if it was made national. Sure. uh jujitsu and uh firearms training so mm-hmm. you're proficient. And the other in the remaining 10% is the legal side of the house keeping up to date with the laws because those change right we have annual updates we have an annual recertification requirements the mandatory ones the big ones in the state of wisconsin are emergency vehicle operations biannual firearms annual uh use of force but every year you have to have a minimum of 24 hour of continuing education and all those dynamics that you just described so I kind of like to brag on the state of Wisconsin a little bit. Right. We're, no, and, we're and kind we, of, we of the, the, the national yeah. standard. I mean, there's a lot of states that don't have the yeah. level of standards. 720-hour recruits, two hour, uh, two-year college degrees, 24-hour minimum training every year, mandatory firearms, et cetera. I was like that Somali cop. Um, there's um, so white lady. another couple aspects that's important in that. That if I'm remembering your question right, and there's a lot to unpack, okay. is um, first of all, there's no law that says we have to fight fear. We're actually, we fight the scenario, whatever we're uh, dealt with, to win. So one level above, we don't have to fight fair, so to speak, in, in layman's terms, okay? And then you will be judged by reasonableness, as what another officer in the same set of circumstances would have done. Okay, if you bring a knife, we bring a gun. In stupid kid terms, okay? I don't have to bring a knife to a knife fight. So one level above. Now, obviously, there's issues across this country where somebody, you know, okay, I brought a machine gun to a bottle fight. Okay, now you're getting a little crazy. Right. All right. 
So reasonableness is a standard. Um, and there's an old saying way back, you know, the, the guys that have been around a while, it's better to be tried by 12 than carried by six. Okay. So as it relates to standardized training, is in a perfect world some type of rainbow-colored unicorn and fields of lollipop world um, a national standard for law enforcement agencies across the country? Sure. Maybe we'll get there. I don't know. But, again, there's there's states. Okay, you're not a felon. You have a driver's license, and you're 18 years old and can carry a gun. Okay, you're a cop. Really? That's all you got? Um, maybe you should have a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that training comes from experience too. And it's interesting because I've seen numerous, I can't even count how many videos out there. I think one was a preacher man, social warrior justice. Uh, I believe it was Ohio goes through the scenario training, law enforcement scenario training. He ends up like shooting like every scenario (laughs) ever. Most of them didn't have a weapon. No, and of course they do the AAR yeah. process that we just talked about. Well, why'd you shoot that guy? Well, I, I was scared. Yeah, I was scared. Well, he yeah. was big, angry, and he was yelling at me, and he charged at me, and I shot him. Really? Uh, we do that in today's world. We're going to federal prison. Right. Thank you very much. Okay, and we got to make those decisions, like Josh is talking about, in a split moment where attorneys and lawyers and the court of public opinion have weeks and weeks and months and months to. Did you do it right? I don't know. The guy had a knife and he came charging at me. I shot his ass. Oh, okay. I'm supposed to go home tonight, right? Right. Is that okay? The national narrative seems to be getting to the point where law enforcement profession, well, that's your job to die tonight. No, hold up. Hold up on the beer wagon. Really? That's not what the standard is. Okay. You know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Everybody forgets, too, Um, that police officers have a family to go to as well. So... Yeah, if you really look at the standards of training, that's important. What is What are we adjudicated on? It's the reasonableness of another officer, not a civilian, would do in a like-type circumstance. Um, use of force is always going to be questioned in today's narrative. It just is. Look at the Racine debacle that we just had. Goodness gracious. I mean, that was a hot mess, too. So... Um, you guys know what he's talking about, Racine, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the Blake issue, yeah. okay? You know, and I've often wondered just out loud to myself, and yeah, I'm going to put myself out on a limb here a little bit. If he had only shot one round, would we even have the conversation? But, the, oh, seven rounds and in the back and blah, blah, blah. One of the things I picked out of that, always the AAR everything. We've talked about this. The techniques, the tactics, the approach. What was wrong with staying on the other side of the car and taking down a cover position through the passenger side window? Why did you follow the suspect around to the front of the car? Those are things I look at not only from my law enforcement perspective, but my military perspective. I can still shoot you from 30 feet away versus 6 feet away. Okay? Um, If I need to, and it's justified, and it's reasonable, and... You know, you can make the arguments and what ifs all day long, which is what lawyers and the civilian society does. Like, well, he could have drove away with the kids in the car and blah, 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 blah. Okay. There's so many variables. There's so many variables. So you got to look at the totality of the thing. I've had the opportunity to read the probable cause statement and the criminal complaint from that issue. Dear Lord, have mercy. It'd make the average person cringe of what that suspect did and was doing at the time. My Lord, have mercy. 
Um, but yet that officer crucified. His career is done. I'm sure of it, regardless of the outcome. Look at what the national level narrative went to. I mean, it set the city on fire. Riots and blah, blah, blah. Um, Led to a whole different problems with the cloud written out. Right. So let's look at that. And what did I miss in your question? There was a whole bunch in your original question. I don't question. Yeah, think we, you missed yeah. much there. Okay. No, there was a lot. We, there was a lot uh, there. We can go more on off air. But just you, for the record, you, for listeners out there, I'm not trying to attack one side or yeah, the other. No, I understand. We're, not, I know, we're, we're facilitating a conversation. Are yeah. These are important conversations to have in a relaxed format yeah. like we're having. Like we're having now. Um open dialogue um is there a certain level of danger in doing so from law enforcement professionals absolutely there is um quite frankly i'm a little nervous and a little uncomfortable but i think it's important enough that we have these type of conversations um because if not us who yeah are we gonna let the the national level media direct the narratives well, and these these are these are local problems that need local solutions, sure. not national you take, solutions. You right. can't take a solution in in LA and blueprint it to Northwest Wisconsin. No, absolutely it's not. Doesn't work. Different climate. You know, it, it's and the country's too big. Different cultures, yeah. different citizens that you serve, different thoughts, uh, different everything. It, yeah. It's. I think a, an important thing to take into consideration too is that you. Unless you have gone through some of the training and unless you know what you're talking about, it is so impossible. I cannot speak to the level of what an officer who has been doing that kind of work um, I, I I can't having been in the military, I can speak to military stuff, and I know how a soldier would react. I have not gone through the training that a police officer has done, and I cannot speak to, and nor would I presume to speak, for what a police officer who has been doing this type of work out there, um, I cannot put myself in their shoes. Because I don't know what is going through their head at their time. Because I can't speak to what their experiences are. And I know this because I, I know cops who have worked over in the cities and who have engaged a target. And um, based upon my experiences in, in, in Iraq, um, I can't say that I would not be justified in doing what they did because at the end of the day they want to go home sure they have they have kids they have a husband they have a wife they have they have other they're people right they're they're but human beings as you apply and it's, it's a hard thing to wrap yourself up inside their head by the same token, I don't know what was going through that guy's head when he freaking dove into the car to grab a knife. Or I don't know what was going through freaking George Floyd's mind at the time. You know, I I, I wasn't there. Right. You know, it, it is so hard. Well, it's so hard to put yourself in. Here, here's that, a concept you know? that'll be hard for you gentlemen. 
but I like taking complex things, breaking it down Barney style, the best I can, right? I have some very few informal rules in my department. One of them to illustrate what Josh is saying and is enumerated in your uh, question, Jordan. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Again, that deep. that that's deep. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have all these tools, you have all this training, you have all these options, right? This fluid use of force continuum. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And if you can apply that to your day-to-day operations, I think big picture, you're probably going to be better off as an organization, as a department, as an officer. That's my personal opinion. Don't be a dick. Don't be bad yet. Okay, just, just because I can write you the ticket for six over... I can also give you a verbal warning and say, have a good night. Uh, we were talking about that. Earlier. You know, there's so much different options and officer discretion and things that need to apply day to day. I've been pulled over by a cop and he's like, why were you going that fast? I was doing 75 and a 55. <laughs> you know, and I looked at the cop and I was, <laughs> I wasn't paying attention, man. I needed to get to where I was going. Yeah, uh, you got me. You got me, bud. I, yeah, I fucked up. I was I was in the wrong. I'm bet my bad. I was going fast. You're totally. You can rent me a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Sometimes I think honesty with a cop goes a long way. Yeah. I'm gonna get out of my. I'm gonna get out of this freaking ticket. This <laughs> right. Yeah, I fucked up, bro. <laughs> you know. But. But I just want to bring the show back. Yeah. Onto the rail track here. Yeah, yeah we're getting up. We're getting deep <laughs> yeah. into the woods. I, I deep into the weeds. We're yeah. like in we're finding ducks now. We're not. Uh, we're not in the weeds. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're in Merkwood, we man. We're in the woods, dude. We're, yeah, we're gonna yeah. go back. The spiders the are coming. From <laughs> <laughs> we're sting. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> we're gonna go back to the weeds after after we get off here. But real yeah. quick, uh, just for anyone that's looking to go into the military. What kind of advice would you offer oh, them? And okay, question. yeah, I've actually got a little experience in this. Uh, one of the little side things I do is back in the day, they had a uh, guard recruiting assistant program, <laughs> G-Rat. <laughs> and I put a lot of you young men into soldiers and a lot yeah. uh, into boots. There's so much abuse happened from it. Uh, yeah, 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 there was, unfortunately. But Recruiters were like, I'm making so much money. Uh, on <laughs> but a lot of the young men that I wound up putting in boots or directing, my biggest number one piece of advice you know, active duty reserve guard, right? That was always a big thing. Okay. Go guard. Honest to God, the force multiplier they bring to the table, the civilian skill sets, the fact that you can still be a family person, the benefits, etc. If you love it and just think this is the best thing since sliced bread, right? Yeah. One page form, you're active duty. You're active duty, yeah. If you go active duty and you get in and you're like, this freaking blows. Uh, you're stuck for your contract, homeboy. <laughs> so, you know. Sucks to be you, son. Now go do push-ups. Um, yeah. But it was amazing to watch over the years. I mean, we had plumbers and construction workers and welders and engineers, engineers. and cops. Yeah. I mean, they we all the stuff that we do in the real world, we were able to apply to our mission sets overseas. The guard, The guard has one beautiful thing, and that is what he's, he's saying right there is... You have it can be an infantry unit, it can be yeah. you can be an 11B, 11 bang bang, you're a knuckle dragger, you know. But 
You've got engineers. You've got freaking truck drivers. You've got people with freaking skill sets. Literally America as we know it. A literal, it Every cross-section of America. Of America. Whereas the regular army, you, you go to a, a regular army infantry unit, like you go to 82nd or the 101st and everything, and almost the demographic, the demographic is almost the same across the board, you know, right. and um, it's amazing how much more a guard unit will perform, but, and then... The regular army looks down on on the national guard. Oh yeah, the nasty girls, the no goes, the whatever else we've been called. It was always funny because you know the regular army guys would always give a shit. You know, national guards, you know, these national guard types are sitting there fucking your girlfriend while you're freaking stuck. <laughs> <and> freaking <laughs> yeah. oh, so you, you make fun of the nasty girls. Yeah, that's right. That's all your girlfriend. You yeah. butt fucking piece of shit. <laughs> Prison rules, bitch. Yeah. But you know, I'll give you an example. My first tour overseas at one point during the tour, we had a detention center. And we were catching bad guys, so what do you do with them? Well, we got to detain them until we ship them off to our higher level, right? Well, what are the cops saying? Oh, anybody around here got any law enforcement experience? How do you run a detention center? Guess what? Other duties as assigned. Congratulations, staff sergeant. Uh, <laughs> you know, so no joke, man. No That's active duty. Where are you going to draw that skill set from? Mm-hmm. Nowhere. Um, so yeah, um, I encourage everybody. A lot of the young men I put in boots. Let's face it, some of them, about half of them, were heading down the wrong path in the civilian world. Dude, you're truing from school. You're out past curfew. You might may or may not be smoking some dope. You might be doing some low-level burglaries and theft. Dude, you're heading in the wrong direction. I know where you're going to end up. I'm a very frank guy. Dude, in two years, if you don't change your path, you will be dead or in prison. And I've had a few of them say, oh, no, you know what you're talking about, right? Oh, guess what? Two years later, they're in prison. Mm-hmm. Okay, that Or... You can listen to me. You can get your shit straight. Maybe join the service, change your circle of friends, change, get some discipline, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of those young men have come back to me and gals too and said, thank you. Being that mentorship that Josh talked about. And, you know, at the time they hated, yeah, I've had to arrest you before. Yes, I've taken you to jail before, but five years later, I stopped in my office at random, shake my hand and said, thank you. Uh, you got me in the guard. I got my head pulled out of my fifth point of contact. Um, doing good, and, and I'm raising a family, and I got my college degrees, and all these stories that come through after you've been around a while. Is, those are the wins that I take out of this profession in a small town. Like, hey, thanks, Chief, or Dave, or whatever they call me at the time. It's like, man, if it wasn't for you, I'd be in prison. Yeah, you would. Thank you. So those are the wins that you take out of it. No joke. I took my whole family up to meet Dave. We drove... I got a lake house up in, in Siren, and <clears throat> one weekend I was like, we're going to go see freaking Dave over in Shell, in Shell Lake because, you know, I need to go say hi to him. And I took my whole family over there, and they all – and he took time out of his day, and he stopped everything, and he freaking took time out of his day to freaking say, hey, guys, how's it going, you know? And I've talked about Dave mine. Everybody in my family knows who mm-hmm. he is. So, you know, it's he, been an interesting ride. I have a young man, I won't use any names right now. He is now a deputy for a county sheriff's department. 
I've been around long enough. Well, I used to chase this punk ass around when I was a teenager. <laughs> may or may not drank a few extra beers, drove around, may or may not had a little to partake of the green leafy-like substances of the world. <laughs> the devil's lettuce. Uh, why'd you look at me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. You're, quack, a quack. Future, you're a future cop, Casey. Um, <laughs> and, and I'll fast forward, uh, let's see, at least 15 years in... He's a family man, um, doing wonderful. He's a county deputy. And I distinctly remember that young man because my first tour, he was the last citizen, civilian, to shake my hand and say, good luck, be safe. The first day back in the community, he was the first young man that shook my hand and said, I'm glad you're home. Now, this is a young man I had That's going to be gratifying, man. This, this is a, a young man that I had taken to jail a couple of times. That's got to be gratifying, though, man. And I'm like, okay, I must have did something right. Uh, so, you know, most people would be still be pissed off. You took me to jail. You fucked me, blah, 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 whatever. No well, regrets. He was, he no was regrets, the first man who said, good luck. I hope you're safe. Come back. And the first guy that shook my hand when I came back, and now he's a county deputy in the area and raising a family. He's an amazing young man. I went to his graduation from the academy and doing well. Yeah, it's like, yeah, awesome. people, people grow up. People change. Well, and that's the definition of protect and serve, right? right. You're, you're serving your local community and you're protecting it as well. Like, right, right. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of, especially in like small towns, you know, I think a lot of small town, because I, <laughs> I mean, a lot of the cops that I served with in the army, they took that literally. I mean, it was like a literal freaking. Yeah. It was, yeah, you know, it was a core belief for them, you know. And I think it's um. I think it's awesome that you you get to be be able to have experiences like that. You it know? is, and and I got one last one. I I kind of see the producer got his finger on the the gizmo device. Oh no no, I, I'm 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 oh, monitoring okay. your levels. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So here's a I get loud because I'm hard of hearing, and I've had a couple of. I say oh no no, no no you 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 keep moving around the oh. mic, and so I have to keep. I say that oh, to. Okay, my bad. <laughs> quit moving, Dave. Hey Dave, quit. I moving. say I say all that right. to my wife all the time because right. she's had a glass of. I'm monitoring you. I'm monitoring you right now. (laughs) So I had a very interesting experience during this career, and it's both military and law enforcement. I had a young soldier uh, back in 04 and 05, and quite frankly, he was a problem child. And he wound up as an incarcerated person. He's a convicted felon. Okay. Did some time in state prison, made some bad choices, whatever. He's out now. And uh, I'm still in contact with him today. Um, not as much now, but off and on. Uh, great guy. Um, did some really bad things. Made some bad choices. Truly did. But I'm the guy that can still have a conversation. Yes, I'm a chief of police. Yes, he's a convicted felon. But he was one of my soldiers. He's one of my guys, right? So interesting twist of fate. Uh, NPR wind up doing a story on him as incarcerated veterans was the the scope, right? And talking about combat veterans and, you know, um, felony convictions and so forth and so Well, at the end, they pull a, hey, by the way, the other end of the spectrum, do you happen to know any cops that are veterans that you served with? He throws my name out there. Very long story short, NPR contacts me for this 
similar kind of what we're doing here, but basically interview me on NPR about law enforcement and veterans. Ironically enough, that came out of a conversation he had with one of my soldiers that I had deployed with that was, you know, a criminal convicted felon. And he's on, I think he's finished now his college degree doing well. Talking about Dave Carlson? Uh, I'm talking about one of my former soldiers um, doing well. Um, you know, and he's learned and he's grown and people change. And a segue into that is one of the other hats, and, and most people can't really wrap my right. Yes, I'm a law enforcement official, but I sit on the Community Justice Coordination Council. The whole umbrella of that is alternatives to incarceration. The average person think, well, cops throw criminals in jail, right? That's what we do, right? We arrest people, we charge them with crime, throw them in jail, prison, right? CJCC is alternatives to incarceration, opposite end of the spectrums. So the whole protect and serve, how can we better this process? Jail and prison isn't for everybody concept, okay? But I wouldn't be able to sit on that committee if I wasn't a cop, ironically enough. Because we've been in the game for a while. We see what works, doesn't work. So it was just an interesting twist of fate that I get this. I'm at deer hunting camp when I get this phone call, right? Like, hi, NPR. Like, yeah, yeah, what's up? (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, so-and-so dropped your name and he says you were a squad leader overseas and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we interviewed him in prison. All of that is true, but what do you want? Yeah, 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 like, so it was just interesting because there was this concept at the national level, the citizens at large, if you will, the, the court of public opinion, that all these combat vets that were going to be cops because they're badge heavy and testosterone poison and all that, yeah, that were just randomly killing our citizens on the street. Yeah, well, that is all bullshit, you know. Um, so that was an interesting dynamic. When you talk about soldier carrying, troop carrying, mission first, men always take care of your men, your men will take care of your... Here's a guy that for all intents purposes, I should not be in contact with, right? Right. Yeah. There's no professional relationship between a convicted felon and a chief of police. But at the same time, he knew you well enough. But he knew me as a leader and his squad leader, and we'd work together and serve together and blah, blah, blah. It's just funny how things come together sometimes. It was an interesting dynamic. And then serving on this alternatives to incarceration committee that I have for for years, being a law enforcement officer saying, how can I actually keep you out of jail? Okay, how can I make you better? How can I make you not be a tweaker? How can I get you treatment, housing, transportation? Those are all important things. Because guess what? We really hate paperwork. And we really <laughs> don't like arresting people unless we have to. Yeah, I mean, because nobody wants to work. <laughs> like, that is the fundamental human thing that we can all agree right. about. Fucking nobody is, fucking wants to work. work. I'm going to sound a sales right? rep and a podcast host. I have so, an so, hey, Doug. what do you want to do on your day off? Go sit in a courtroom? No. <laughs> I'd rather freaking sit there uh, playing freaking Skyrim on my yeah, goddamn right? Xbox. Right? right? <laughs> Fuck work. <laughs> Fuck work. Yeah. So you take all those little pieces and you put them together and you try to come up with the best product you can yeah. and in, in small town usa we're better at it i think and more successful at it than some of the big metro areas we actually care about yeah. our people the, really the bigger do. you are the more you fail you know right i got i got one more question and then i think gordon's gonna freaking 
um, run you through Slap some you upside stuff. Of the head or well, I think he's yeah. more questions. I think he's. Yeah. Uh, we've we gotten off into the weeds a little bit. And I don't mean. I mean. I, I'm, all all I'm saying is, all is all right. yeah. the four of us are about to beat uh, Josh Penny and. Yeah, we're yeah, Corey. Corey, yes. Yeah, I was working on it. I was working. I got on your it. back, bro. <laughs> My one-hour so episode turned the, to three hours. Um, <laughs> the the one the one thing that um, uh, affects a lot of us vets is suicide. Oh, you know, and I know. A day, yeah, I know the twenty-two a day and everything. Which you know, um, for me, it's a personal issue. Mm-hmm. Um, this year was actually the first year that I have not gone to a. Funeral for a soldier, as much as 2020 has sucked, fuck you, COVID, fuck the elections, <laughs> fuck all of you, um, and I'm flipping all of you off right now. Right. Um, the, the one thing that um, um, I guess I want to ask you about mm-hmm. is, because I know you, uh, with Pat Mulally, and I mean, there were some guys that both of you and I lost yep. um, due to suicide. Um, and I know it's a, a subject that's for vets. It's really kind of difficult to talk about. It is. And it's almost a failure on a, like uh, on our part. It's it's taboo almost. It is, you know. And you know how how deeply I'm I am involved with this. Mm-hmm. And I'll say it again. You got a problem, man? Give me a shout. Give me you, a shout. You know man. you know how to freaking get a hold of me. I've I've put it out on this on this format. And and I'm gonna get my email out at the end of this episode. Nope. Yep. Email me. I'll get you in touch with Josh. Me. And, and I I will say this too. If 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 I can't find you help, I know people who can. Right. You know. Right. But um the it, it is a deep and personal, very personal, um, subject matter for me. But um. For anybody who's out there listening right now, Dave, um, especially vets, mm-hmm. you know, because um, if there's any one thing that we can bring it back, because um, we got we got super political tonight, okay. and we went, we went way deep off on on. Uh, uh, we went duck hunting, right? Yeah, we went yeah. duck we sure hunting. did. Yeah, we went duck hunting. <laughs> yeah. But if there's any one thing that I could ask you, if there's any, if there's anybody who's out there listening uh, to this podcast, what is the one thing that you could say that would help them? And and because your experience mm-hmm. is different than my experience, and my experience is different than Casey's or Gordon's, or Corey and and Penny, who's who's been here right. before, and anybody right. else. But if, what is the one thing that you could um, the, there's say a couple to them? Of things, Josh. One, call me if you know me and you're a veteran. Call me. It happened recently. Uh, one of my former soldiers. You know, I don't know why, but he was going to come to my house at one point. Started in Chippewa County of all places. Yeah, you know, I want to go see my platoon sergeant. I got a cabin up in the area, whatever. Call me. If I can't help you, I know people, like you just said, Josh, I know people that do one of my other hats that I, you know, I alluded to the county level. At one point, I was the chair of the Veterans Commission. Uh, um, I'm now the vice chair. Um, I will get you, and I I have, I call it the magic phone. I shit you not, I will get whoever and whatever to you and help you. Reach out, always ask. Yeah. I don't care if it's 3 in the morning. I answer phone calls at 3 in the morning, text messages, whatever, PMs. Dude, 
I also work in a profession, ironically enough, and they start our management conferences. Uh, congratulations to the profession that has the highest divorce rates, the highest suicide rates, and the fact that you'll probably have the fucking big one, a stroke and a heart attack by the age of 60. Not to mention alcohol. Uh, yeah. yeah, right? Right? So we get it. We live that world. We've had a lot of training. Uh, what was the, the the battle mind training that we all had? Resiliency, the resiliency training. training and all this other stuff. If I can't help you personally, trust me, my magic phone has people to do. I am the chairman of Health and Human Services on speed dial at Mental Health, and I will get you an on-call worker to your front step. I promise you. And, and Dave, I don't expect you to put your contact info out on the internet. No. Pass it on to me yeah. tonight. Yep. Uh, for those listening, email me. I'll give you the email at the end of the show. Put you in Dave within yep. 24 hours. And, no and even if it's no not my, my pond, so to speak, my world uh, where I live... I've been around long enough. I've networked, building these relationships, communications. Yes, I do know the CVSOs for a nine-county area. Yes, I know the sheriffs. I know the other chiefs of police. I know the other directors of health and human services. You don't have to be in my pond for me to be able to pick up the magic phone and get somebody. I mean, the one that came out of Chippewa, uh, very long story short, but the deputy that was handling the case used to be one of my part-time officers. He also happens to be my nephew by marriage. Dave, Uncle Dave, he's coming to your house. Oh, he is? <laughs> Thanks for the heads up, you know. Um, so let's work through this stuff. We'll get you in contact with somebody. Uh, if I got to run into my office to get my nice little spreadsheets out of, you know, Mental point health is, facilities, is, is, you know. You've got, you got, you got resources. I got resources, you know. Hey, you live down in Hudson area? Hey, I know this guy named Josh. He's a rock star with this shit. Yeah. Okay? Josh, I got a guy coming to see you. Use that stuff, fellas. We are here. We're here. We're here. And I'm, the network is there. We, we will help you. And if there's anything that we can do, and if you just need somebody to talk to, man. And I know Dave, he's got an ear. And he loves to talk. I've got an ear. Give us a shout, man. We're we're here. We're here. If nothing else, I'll take you for a motorcycle ride. So yeah. <laughs> and just yeah. kind of a fun story, and then I'll let you do your your boss thing there, Gordon <laughs> and producer. <laughs> um, that I find interesting, and I just lost the thought. So go ahead with your question. Yeah, I'll, I'll come uh, well, back. I was just going to ask for, uh, for both of you, because we've talked about on multiple episodes over the show, the army, or the military rather, mm -hmm. is really good at training people to go to war. Mm -hmm. They're not good at preparing or training you to come back to civilian life. So right. if you guys were in charge, your five star generals with the Harry Potter wand. Ooh. Oh. Harry Potter wand? Yeah. I mean, Avada Kedavra? Yeah. You could, uh, <laughs> Bang. Flick the wand. I want the bluey glow sword thingy. <laughs> but you Oblivious. could just... You have the magic wand, and you could just put something in place that teaches guys how to transition back out okay. of that. Mm. <laughs> Legal. Mm. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Legal ways. I was I'm going to go off the charts here a little bit, Gordon. I don't necessarily want everybody to 100% transition back. No. Because they are a product of their cul cumulative learning experiences. They are who they are because of all those. I don't want to unflip the switch. Right. 
in most of those men and women that I have served with in multiple branches, they are the guardians of this country. Bless their hearts for it. They're the 3% or 2%, depending on which whatever, whatever yeah. poll or whatever. people that want to broadcast. Thank God for them. Um, they have sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States against all foreign, uh, enemies, foreign and domestic. I don't want to unring that bell. Because if you ever lose those people, God wanna, help us. You don't want to take away that passion. Um, now, there, did you want them to be normal, functioning citizens well, that, in society without all these what, mental what problems normal? and AODA problems? Of yeah. course. What's normal is a setting on a washing machine. Right. Okay. What is, is there a good way, because I've heard mixed reviews, I always give out the contact info for the VA's Veterans Crisis Line. Sure. I've had a mixed bag of reviews. Uh, from people that listen to the show and people I talk to in my personal life about mm -hmm. the VA, good or bad, mm -hmm. and then there's other organizations out I'll there. I'll break it down simple for you, Garden. Well, so I hate the questions that are asked. Literally, if you are being 100% honest with a VA counselor or any counselor, look at the questions. They're loaded questions. If you answer them honestly, your career is over. At the same time, they preach about, I want to help you, what you're suggesting is I'm going to take away everything that you know. Do you own a gun? Of course. Duh. Uh, you know, I mean, okay, have you ever had suicidal thoughts? Yeah. If you answer yes, you're probably going to have people in little white jackets and, you know. Oh, so every single the questions are set up to fail. Suicidal thoughts. They're not really there to help you because what you're doing by answering honestly is actually going to take away everything that you know. So restructure the questions, and what is the intent? Do I really want to get this person help, or do I want to crush everything that they have been for the last 30 years of their life? Until they balance that out, mm -hmm. the system, in my opinion, is not going to work. Oh, you're suicidal and own guns. Um, dude, <laughs> that's a problem. Oh, you're not going to be a soldier no more. Your career's done as a soldier. You're not going to be in law enforcement anymore. Uh, we're going to take away your gun and your badge. Um, so let's face it. We're not completely dumb. You're not going to answer loaded questions. I will say this. Um, as somebody who's been on the... As somebody who's been on the um, end result of all these questions that... Um, and the place it puts you. I will say this. Channel your passion. You did things that this is a hard topic to talk about. Um, Be careful when you talk to the VA. All right? Because the questions are loaded. Mm -hmm. But channel, channel what you were taught. Remember the passion that you have for certain things. And 
Um, this is a hard question, Gordon. Know that what you did was not wrong. You did them because you were there and that's what you were trained to do and that's what you were supposed to do. But know that um, you, uh, you have a purpose in life and channel what that energy you have. I'm sounding like an idiot and I'm sorry. This is, that is a tough question to answer. Um, well, you, Gordon, if you, you look at the to, questions, uh, uh, you, you can Google a lot of these questions are just out there. Okay. Do you feel safe in your home? Have you ever thought about suicide? Do you have substance abuse problems? Do you abuse yes. drugs or alcohol? Yes. Are you, you know, all yes. these things. Do you own guns? Yes. Good Lord, if you're being completely forthright and honest yes. with the person that's trying to quote unquote help you and you answer those questions, um, you're the, screwed. The only thing that you're going to get chapter, chapter 51 of the state statutes. <laughs> They're going to take away your guns. They're going to take away your careers. Yeah, you have to be very careful when you're dealing with the VA, um, especially with questions, the questions that they ask. Yeah. And, 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 for um, me, and for me, personally, like, obviously, I, I've been honest about it. I've never served, but I'm not trying to put either of you guys under the spot. It's just that... You can ask me anything you want, Gordon. Yeah, no, it's just it's for... <laughs> I'm shy that way. I, I've learned how indirectly to channel, know people that... Learn how to channel the passion that you have that got you to where you're at and learn how to freaking um put it to a spot uh, i'm not making sense and i'm making this freaking be dumb now well uh, i, I apologize, I'll, yeah. I'll give you I mean, one illustration a young man who, who served with both of us it's gordon a difficult yeah. question no, to and ask. It, it, he committed suicide he, he stepped out in the lane of traffic yes there was alcohol involved he was actually at a funeral of another soldier. You're talking about Dave. Uh, I'm talking about a soldier that both served with us. And well, ironically enough, that happened in the county that I reside. So I get what's called a hot sheet every day. Every, 6 a.m. Okay. So when I read this thing, I'm like, talk about a wake-up call at your morning coffee. That's my soldier. My soldier. My guy who is dead in my county. He's not from my county, but that's where he ended up because he was at a funeral for another soldier under similar circumstances, neighboring. You know, okay, they get juiced up and, uh, you know, they stop and do their thing. And um, he had this ideology and he decided to step out in front of a semi on a U.S. highway. This is a problem, right? It's sad and it's frustrating because that soldier knew how to get a hold of me. For God's sakes, get a hold of me before you make that decision. I will get out of bed, I swear to God, and drive to wherever you are within... Re I mean, if you're in Florida, it's going to take me a while. Okay, <laughs> but dude, reach out to us. Reach out to Josh. Reach out to our networks. 
um, it's wildly important to build those relationships and have those contacts and those magic phones. We will get you through it. I told you guys earlier, I think I'd rather talk to a guy in a foxhole having a beer every day of the week and twice on Sunday, if I remember my words correctly. Mm-hmm. Okay? We will work you through it. It's tough to talk about. It's yeah. tough. It is tough. Yeah. And, and that, like I was saying before we went on air, I mean, that's, that's the point of this podcast for listeners out there. Whether you're a vet, and you have some stuff you got to unpack and you haven't yet. Mm-hmm. Here's a starting point. Yeah. Don't don't necessarily reach out to me per se. Yeah. Uh, because I'm a fucking monkey in a basement that has a, a superstar <laughs> producer that superstar. Loves I try really hard, guys. I really do. But then Josh makes me like start to tear up, and it's a whole thing. Right. right? Uh, yeah. But you have the wand, but, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got. The, I have a wand. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right. But All I can say you, is it's this. okay to reach out and talk to somebody. Talk to if, someone. Yeah. If you, if talk to your battle buddy. I mean, this is a basic core value that we're taught from day one in basic training. Battle, uh, battle buddies, mm-hmm. buddy teams, dude. Talk. It doesn't have to be a shrink. Right. It doesn't have to be the VA. It doesn't have to be. A, talk to your battle buddy, man. Yeah. Get this shit off your chest. Figure it out. Just any other. You know, and just be. And yeah. you know, and if it you contact me, yeah, I'm that copper dude. That it doesn't mean be. I'm putting handcuffs on you and taking to a mental health facility under Chapter Fifty One. Let's work through it. Let's work the details out. Let's let's peel back the layers. It can be hard. It can be really hard. You yeah. know, if I sit up for 36 hours straight with the bolt removed from one of my soldiers overseas, I'll sit up with you too. And <laughs> and for people, listeners out there like myself who never served, it was friends and families that, or family members, that went overseas and you recognize the fact that you should probably talk to them, but you're like, where the fuck do I start? I mean, here's a great starting point. Uh, like I said, 13, 14 episodes. Yeah, deep so far, but it's something. Yeah, softball questions for you to softball tee up. I know this. I know this. It's better to talk to somebody than to not. And um, one of one of the great things about this podcast is that it is difficult for veterans to come out. And talk about shit. It is very difficult. Um, and it's difficult for us to come out and say, I have a problem. But at the same time, coming out and talking about this stuff is, you don't have to come out and you don't have to say, you know, I did this at a certain point in time and it really fucked me up, blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, and simply talking about what your military experience was is strangely cathartic, you know. And I know a lot of vets out there listening to this. Um, <laughs> just go out there, and if you're having a problem, find somebody. It doesn't matter. It could be a pastor. It can be a police chief. It can be your buddy Joe from freaking the coffee shop. It doesn't matter. But find somebody to talk to, man, because it is therapeutic as hell 
to talk about it. Be cross generational yeah. is something that I would say in, into what Josh is saying yeah, there. Fun, Gordon. Fun, go talk to my heroes are Vietnam vets. They were shit on. In yeah. the last five years, I've had the opportunity to have Vietnam America. Okay, think of the math. Do the math, right? Sixty-five, seventy-year-old mm-hmm. men now that haven't talked about any of this shit in forty years. They'd have those conversations yeah. with me. They need to have those conversations. Everybody focuses on this generation and OIF and Afghanistan and Iraq and all this stuff. You know what? There is a whole group of individuals between about the, roughly the ages of 65 and 75 out there. They need to have that conversation. Be willing to cross-generalization this. Unfortunately, there's not too many of our World War II heroes left. Yeah. Uh, no, a few good. Koreans, but let's face it, our Vietnam guys, you want to go to your local VFW, go to your Legion, go to your honor guard. I, I serve on the honor guard team and bury our comrades routinely, regardless of service. It's one of the things I do on the side with all my extra spare time um, because it's the right thing to do. Have those conversations with those, with those gentlemen. You'll be amazed that 40 years later they go they cry in my arms and say i have never told anybody this dave like, I, holy crap that's I'll, healing I'll right i'll tell you this t cuz i didn't have i didn't have a great experience with the vfw and i didn't have a great experience with the legion but there are vets out there find your local motorcycle club cuz um <laughs> right We'll get you fucked up we'll snort some cocaine <laughs> and we'll have a good time and Bikers love women. No way. <laughs> Just saying. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. You like might... girls, Josh? Well, I do. <laughs> I think... <laughs> Look, uh, there's there's so many uh, there's so many outlets out there. Whether it's your freaking your local church, go to the VFW, go to the American Legion, find people like Gor- Gordon. Will literally. Uh, one beautiful thing about this dude right sitting right here next to me and to my left is this dude literally will sit here and listen to you all night long. All right. He will, this man will sit here and listen to you every single problem that you, and he won't say a thing. He won't say a thing. And the only thing at the end of the night, he'll be like, can you come on to my podcast? with me?" <laughs> <laughs> but he's but he does it out of love. The guy's not a vet, but he does it for out of love, you know. And 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 the thing is, is you know, my my motorcycle club. If you just if you want to come and freaking talk to somebody because you need somebody to talk to, we're gonna be here for you, man. And right. I, dude, trust me, I know, I know it is fucking tough, man. It is a hard fucking subject to talk about and out of the love thing gordon and i don't know how taboo your podcast is again i I just met you gentlemen tonight the dude i i've been exposed to a lot of people in the absolute basement of life drugs alcohol sexual abuse etc 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 right (laughs) the people that i have seen successfully turn their life around had a different direction, changed all of that out of the absolute darkest places you can think of, have one common denominator. I, I like common, cops like common denominators, right? Circumstances, timelines. Math is hard. Math is hard. What's right? math? <laughs> all right. Two plus two. 
So, the common denominator, if you're interested, every one of them to a T that has truly been successful have the common denominator of faith-based. Whatever that is to that person, whether it's a painted rock, whether it's Buddha, whether it's God, whether it's Jesus, whether it's whatever, every one of them that I have seen successfully come out of those situations have the one common denominator of faith-based. Don't know if I'm supposed to say that stuff, but that is the honest God truth. Um, so you sit in a jail cell with somebody and you interview them about why did you touch the three-year-old the way you did? And then five years later, they ain't doing it no more and have changed directions or they're not slinging meth no more or banging heroin. Now, those numbers are low. <laughs> but the ones that have, faith-based. Right. I'm just saying, if that's what it's got to take, suicide I want to blow my head off tonight. Well, that's a bad idea. We're not going to let you do that tonight, right? Okay? Yeah. That's part of my let's, job. Protect, serve. I'm not going to let you blow your head off tonight. Let's unpack that real quick. Let's impact real quick. By the way, Magic Phone has a few clergy on it, too. Okay? It's got a couple of veterans on it. It's got a couple of health and human services workers on it. What resource fits that particular set of circumstances? But I'm telling you, faith-based, when you're talking about criminology and prison and drugs and mental health and all these things that we deal with, man, it it works. It works. I'm, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say that, but it does. And real quick for the folks like me that never served, you just have friends and families out there that did serve. And you have those conversations. You have the tough conversations. Listen to episode one with me and Steve, and he said stuff to me for the first time ever and I heard it and you find yourself in that question like fuck how do I unpack this I have no idea but just roll with it like Josh you're saying I'll shut up and listen I mean if you talk to me we're gonna be up for fucking days so <laughs> bring whiskey bring beer be prepared <laughs> Gordon, Gordon always has a bottle of bourbon he's always got some and yeah one thing that I've learned about this man sitting to my left is no, dude is, you are amazing. You really are. <laughs> I won't you go really that are. Far. No, I, I, I'd like to look at my life like as freaking, a C plus. Corey said it, and Penny said it. I'm sure Dave's gonna. Uh, uh, like, dude, you're you're a cool fucking dude, man. And look, if you if you've got a problem, trust me, I know. Um, give somebody a shout, cause yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, just. Talk to somebody. It's the only thing that helps. It is literally the only thing that helps. And um, there's many, many people out there who are willing to listen. And I know a lot of times, like, people always say this, like, oh, I'm not worth it. Uh, you know, God made a mistake with me and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not true. No, it's not. One thing I like to focus on is to remind those veterans. Fucking talk to somebody, man. Those veterans, you represent, and again, the the magic number, depending on it, 3%, 2%, 1%. There's 97, let's just say 97% of America that haven't done what you did. Stepped up to the plate, raised your right hand, served. Served. Let's let's break down the word serve. Nobody else has fucked a little bit like you did. Okay? Serve. How many people serve 
three percent really that's it you're one of them and now you're you're sitting here crying in your soup bowl you want to kill yourself dude you've done what 97 percent of our populace hasn't done we're good you're you're ninety you're ninety seven percent better what's than the, everybody else. What's the last part you gotta say? <laughs> oh, that's, that's yeah. What you got, Gordon? I just want to say thank you, Dave, for coming down tonight, making the yeah. trip down here and sitting down with us, you know a few strangers. Yeah. And Josh, thank you again for coming on as co-host. I really appreciate it. Casey. Yeah, thank you for putting up with our shenanigans. shenanigans. I just hope we had enough free beer to make it worth it, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the keg was really light It's amazing light what somebody will do for a piece of cloth or a cold beer. <laughs> or a belt buckle, right? I mean, it's amazing. Right. We get to do this next weekend, too. Right? We sure do. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you again for everyone tuning into this episode. Make sure you stay up to date for future guests and live recording dates on Facebook and Instagram, uh, both at Rules of the... Uh, excuse me, wrong show. Both <laughs> at No Story Left Behind. And don't forget to check out my other show called Rules of the Arena. You can find that on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, YouTube, and Twitch. Don't forget to follow on there. It's at Rules of the Arena uh, podcast. Uh, and it's available... Both shows are available for download and streaming on Blind Ninja Studios, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, CastBox, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you're a veteran and you're in a bad spot, please, like we said, reach out to a battle buddy, a friend, family member, somebody, uh, anyone. Or if you're somebody that's concerned about someone you care about, please, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text anonymously 838 838- Two five five to speak with a caring qualified VA responder available twenty four seven. And everybody, don't forget to click the link in the show and episode description and check out the new merch line available for Rules of the Arena. Currently have items from the new Bad Days collection. It is live now through the end of December, and we're going to be switching stuff up come January. So go check it out now. Thank you, everybody. And if you have any comments, concerns, questions, or you just want to talk, please uh, talk to Dave, talk to Josh, whoever. Yep. Shoot me an email, Gordon at blindinchesstudios.com. That's G O R D O N. And I will reach out to you. Give me 24 hours. That's all I ask. And I'll put you in touch with whoever you need to talk to. You. Thank you, everyone. And we'll catch you next time. Blah.